0: get every bit of local news you need from the rj and hey did you see that game last weekend it was crazy actually we were there wait like in person how'd you swing that Allegiant had a super affordable non-stop flight out there with how low
1: the airfare was buying tickets to the game was a no-brainer hold my beer i'm going to allegiant.com right now allegiant the official airline of the las vegas raiders experience the game you love at allegiant stadium Visit Allegiant.com slash Raiders to book your flight, game tickets, and hotel all in one place.
0: Welcome to the Raiders Press Pass, your credential to all things silver and black.
1: Appreciate you guys all hopping on here. Um... It almost kind of feels like Christmas when we do this uh, call every year because it's like this is uh, this is really happening. We're really getting into the thick of it. We're past the Super Bowl. Um, all the attention kind of goes to the off season and all these teams trying to get better uh, through free agency in the draft. So uh, excited about the the combine coming up. It's uh you know it's going to be a fun draft. You got quarterbacks, you've got receivers, you've got tackles, offensive tackles. That to me is kind of the uh, the highlight that we're working with here. Uh, a lot of depth at those positions and. Um, and we can jump into this thing and uh, go wherever you want. So appreciate you taking the time to join me.
2: Thank you. Uh, we will now begin the Q&A portion of today's call. I see a number of you have done this already, but if you would like to ask a question, please use the raise hand function and we'll take questions in that manner. to the large number of media on today's call, we ask that you please limit your questions to one. As we look to accommodate as many as we can, our first question comes from Nate Davis with USA Today. Nate, you may ask your question.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, uh, DJ. Good, to, good to see you. Um, just going to ask. I uh, obviously we'll start with the quarterbacks. Um, it seems like Caleb is kind of the number uh, number one guy, regardless of who might take him. Uh, but just looking at the back at the past couple of years, just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on maybe him versus the field, uh, kind of given uh, particularly how, how last year played out uh, and, and some others?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good question. This is, you know, it's a, it's a good quarterback draft. Hey, Caleb, to me, is a top guy. And when you look at him specifically uh, in his evaluation, try and stack him up with guys from the past. I think just talent, if we're just looking at just pure talent, you can put him up there uh, with really any of the guys we've had, um, just in terms of you know, arm strength, athleticism, the creativity that he has, the playmaking ability that he has. Now he's not as he's clean or as polished as some guys we've had over the last few years. Obviously, Stroud um, was kind of ready-made and just came out there and, and hit the ground running. I think there's still you know some more growth and some cleaning up to do with Caleb's game, um, but talent-wise, it's it's pretty special. Yeah, I've uh, you know I've made the the comment about him and, and you're going to have Patrick Mahomes name come up and look, you don't want to compare somebody to the best player on the planet, but just in terms of how he kind of plays with the creativity and a little flair um, and in uh, all the different types of throws he can make in terms of driving the ball, layering the ball, um, extending plays, all those things, there are some similarities there. Um, Pat needed some time uh, to clean some things up and got a chance to sit for a year. Obviously I don't think Caleb's going to be afforded the same luxury um, in that department, but I think you can, you know, put a plan in place where you put more on his plate uh, the longer that he goes. But Mahomes' um, situation at Texas Tech, I thought, was very similar to Caleb's situation at USC. I think people have to get it out of their head, you know, comparing, you know, Caleb and, and having in your mind this is like the Matt Liner, Reggie Bush USC days. Those days are long gone. Uh, Pat's last year at Texas Tech they were 128th in scoring defense. This year USC was 121st. So he was constantly chasing points. Um, and I thought that led to some of the bad habits that creeped in a little bit this year. But you know, one of the numbers on him, the other one is he lost eight games at USC. Uh, they gave up an average of 43 points in those games. He was 12 and 0 uh, when they managed to allow less than 34 points. So um, it's tough to play quarterback when you're chasing points like that constantly.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from Justin Rogers with the Detroit News. Justin, you may ask your question.
0: Hey, Daniel, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the possible edge market near the end of the first round in relation to Detroit. Lions obviously need someone to complement Hutchinson with some pass rush potential. And specifically with, with Darius Robinson in that spot, you know, he's been a popular pick to the Lions some of these early projections. Is there enough pass rush ability
2: with him to justify this first round buzz he's been getting since the the senior bowl or is this evaluation more
0: on his floor than his ceiling?
1: No, I think there's pass rush there. You know, he's, he was kind of in that tough spot where they were trying to figure out at Missouri, is he going to be an inside guy or outside guy because he's bigger? Uh, You know, Cam Jordan's a name that you you throw around there just from a body type wise. I remember watching Cam Jordan at Cal work out with the skill guys and run with the skill guys because he was such an athlete. Um, You got a guy who's, who's 286 pounds, uh, that can really move like that, and I thought he's just—he's better as a fit on the outside, standing up on the edge. He can rush through your chest with power. Um, he can really uh, close from the backside. I just thought the the kind of the wider alignment with him really helped unlock him, and you saw that at the Senior Bowl. So he feels to me like somebody that's going to go somewhere in the twenties uh, more than likely, and I think that's—you uh, know—he's worthy. He's got the ability to go in that range. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from D. Orlando Ledbetter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. D., you may ask your question.
0: Uh, yes, Daniel. Um, thanks for, for joining today. Um, what's your uh, assessment uh, on Brock Bowers? I listened to your your podcast yesterday but to get a, a feel for it, but uh, uh, what were you since he may go as the top Georgia recruit this year?
1: Yeah, he's tough. He's tough. Uh, He's easy to grade. I mean, when you watch him, he's super easy to grade. He's one of the 10 best players in the draft. Um, He's size wise, speed wise, I think is going to be very uh, is going to favor Kittle. You know, when you look at him, I think once we get a chance to see him, I don't think we'll see him uh do much at the the combine i think he might be one that's waiting to the pro day we'll have to wait and see on that one but um similar size similar speed plays with just tenacity um especially with the ball in his hands that's where he's at his best um in the run game you know he can get into guys he can finish them you know he's not the tallest not the longest guy so there are times he's not able to quite do that but uh you know uh, everything he does separate easy uh, he can go get it. He can climb the ladder and go up and get the ball. And then really the run after catch stuff is what makes him special. The, the challenge is then figuring out where does he go in the draft. And I think when you look around the league and you see most of these top tight ends that have come on day two um, or even, even beyond that um, teams are now saying, okay, we can find that other tight end. Maybe we don't get the top guy, but we can get a really, really good player who might end up being the top guy without having to pay that premium. And I also think that the Kyle Pitts thing, you know, is Kyle Pitts is as talented as any tight end that I've ever evaluated. And, uh, you know, it's just you're still dependent on the position uh, of the quarterback. So dependent on what you can get out of him. So um, that coupled with the money uh, difference, uh, the savings you get by taking a premier position in the top 10, it's tough to place him uh, to know how high he's going to go.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from Ryan Dunleavy with the New York Post. Ryan, you may ask your question. Daniel, thanks for doing this. Um, Wanted to ask Giants specific. I know in your mocks you can't do a – you're not doing trades, but to get Jaden Daniels or one of the top quarterbacks, how likely is it the Giants would have to trade up from six, and how urgent do you view them getting one of these top quarterbacks versus addressing the position later? given the Daniel Jones situation and what I've heard about maybe the 2025 quarterback class, not being uh, quite, quite as strong as some, how do you view the giants quarterback situation and the need to trade up if they want a top guy?
1: I'm glad you mentioned next year, because that's something when I talk to to guys around the league that they've done their homework on next year's class. I haven't had a chance to watch many of those guys, but there doesn't seem to be as much excitement at this point in the process about next year's guys. So I think that could lead to some action, spur some action for these teams to try and uh, either take one where they are, maybe even be aggressive and go up and get one. Um, I, I had to, you know, I pulled up the chart and kind of ran the numbers of what it might look like if they were going to go from from six to three, um, adding in the fact that there's a little bit of a premium you have to pay. So for the Giants uh, to get up to the third pick, you're talking about the sixth overall pick this year. You're talking about your second round pick, 39 this year. Your second uh, second round pick this year at forty seven, and next year's two. So it really would cost you three twos: two this year and one next year, which is a it's a steep price to pay, um, a little bit of a premium there. But um, you know you could you could get up to three with the ammunition that they have and uh, and get that done. So I, I would not rule that out. I know you got one more year of Daniel Jones before they could kind of get out of that contract, but uh, I, I think that would be something that would be very much in play.
2: Thank you. Our next question comes from Rich Simini with ESPN. Rich, you may ask your question.
0: Yeah. Hey, DJ. Uh, You mentioned the offensive tackles at the top. Um, Jet-related question at number 10. How do the top few tackles separate in your eyes? And also, who do you think is their most likely option at 10?
1: Uh, Well, yeah, they're all different flavors. They're all really talented. Um, When you look at that top group of guys, really, I would say you're talking about alt- um, uh, Fashanu, Fuaga, uh, Latham, I would think those are, you know, pretty unanimous, whatever order you have them, those are kind of the top four guys. I don't think that alt will be there because I think he's the cleanest of the bunch. Um, he's huge, uh, he's long, he just keeps getting better, he doesn't get beat. It's not, you know, he's not the most dynamic athlete. He's not an elite elite bender but he doesn't get beat and just plays with with outstanding awareness and he can move people in the run game. I think he'll be gone. I think then you start getting into the possibilities for the Jets. You know, you've got Fashanu uh, from Penn State, who's, you know, massive, has the ideal frame, ideal length. The Ohio State game this year was kind of the one that people will point to uh, where he got in some trouble, where his eyes were kind of in the wrong place and he gave up his chest and got bold and moved around a little bit, but really, you know, on the whole, I think his tape's pretty solid and he'd be uh he'd be, you know, plug and play there. I think he'd play on the left and play on the right. Uh Fuaga is a really, really clean player for me. Uh he has played on the right side. I don't see, you know, really why you'd want to move him. I think he's plug and play as a right tackle. He could play guard if you needed him to, but just really consistent, quick feet, really explosive and dynamic when he gets into guys. Um he's got some nasty to him, plays with good temperament. So That to me is like the plug and play. He's got a home at right tackle, uh, and off you go. I have him as the second lineman uh, on my list. And then JC Latham from Alabama was a big time recruit. He's got a lot in his his body. I mean, he's huge 330 plus pounds. He's got torque and power, uh, especially in the run game. He can anchor all day long. He had some issues more so than the other guys with just. You know, some of the the uh, the games and stunts and twists that they saw, I thought his eyes were a little bit late. And he got in a little bit of trouble with that. So he would be the fourth guy for me uh, in that mix. But I would say Alt's gone. Uh, Fashanu probably is gone. Uh, but that's why I think it, it could come down to Fuaga versus Latham with that selection.
2: Our next question comes from Ben Standig with The Athletic. Ben, you may ask your question. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for there for doing this as always. Um, obviously with Washington at two, a lot of questions about what quarterback they might be looking at. How do you factor in like with Cliff Kingsbury as, the you know, OC? if one of these quarterbacks include J.K. McCarthy, if you want, along with Caleb, since he knows him, which of those guys do you think maybe fits best for him? And does that, does that matter really for what they're going
0: to do here?
1: Well, I think Cliff, I think Cliff can uh, uh, kind of use what he has and, and, in and adjust a little bit with his offense. I don't think it's super, super rigid. Um, but I know over everything else, you talk about, uh, you know, guys that can get through things quickly and get the ball out and, uh, and get it out accurately. So, uh, you know, I think you can, you can look at all these guys. I think all three of them would fit. I don't think that there's anybody you look at between those three and say there's, you know, Cliff couldn't work with them. I think you just get, um, you know, you you get mobility with all three, you get guys that are all three of them by everything I've been told are really, really bright, really, really smart guys. So to me, it's more about kind of the ceiling of of them of what you think they can be. And, you know, Drake may with just having a little more, you know, prototypical size and, uh, and playing in kind of a a rugged division. I think that might be more of a more of a, you know, uh, a decision making point more so maybe than the offense would be the you know, the location and and the division and and playing outdoors in in Washington. So that, to me, would lean a little bit more towards Drake May.
2: Next question comes from Angelique Shangillis gillis with the Detroit News. Angelique, you may ask your question.
0: Thanks so much,
1: uh, Daniel. I cover Michigan football. And and I was just wondering, what has maybe changed your perspective on J.J. McCarthy? And and when you look at the 18 Michigan guys, is there anybody else that that really intrigues you going into this combine? Thank you. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I feel like I've been watching Michigan um, for like the last two weeks. Just whatever position I go to, there's more and more Michigan guys to watch. Um, but with J.J., I, I've said he's an acquired taste, you know, because when I watched him, you, when you first of all, you're watching TV and you're like, gosh, they don't really ask him to do much. Right. They run the ball. They play great defense. He just kind of he'll manage the game and, and kind of get them through it and make a couple plays here or there. But when you dig into the tape and you really watch it and then you watch on, you know, third downs where they've got to throw the ball and they do put the ball in his hands. You know, there's a lot to like with him. He's got a really, really you know quick mind. He's got a quick release. Um, it's just everything he does real smooth. Uh, I wrote in my notes that the guy, he never gets bored with completions. So, you know, where some other guys in his class get in trouble, big play hunting. Um, he's going to, if you're going to give him, you know, check downs or give him completions, he's just going to, he's never going to get bored taking those, but he can rev it up. He can drive the ball in the seams. Uh, he can extend plays, keep his eyes up. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, when I finished up watching him, I was like, gosh, who does he remind me of? And I thought, man, there's, there's some elements of Alex Smith uh, coming out of college where Alex Smith had a similar build um, played the game uh, from the shoulders up really well and was pretty athletic to get out and make some plays. So uh, that was my comp there. In terms of the other Michigan guys, I'll give you three that I really like. Junior Colson, a linebacker, who I think is one of the best linebackers in this draft, is, is a plug-and-play guy. Roman Wilson, who reminds me of Jaden Reed uh, from the Packers, is just really dynamic and was awesome at the Senior Bowl. And then Mike Sammerstil, uh, you know, the, the nickel who just makes all kinds of plays, had six picks, um, supposed to be a great leader from everything I've been told, can really find and play the ball. Uh, and I think might be a little bit faster than uh, than people expect. So those are three that I'm uh, really high on.
2: Next question comes from Jory Epstein with Yahoo Sports. Jory, you may ask your question.
0: Hi, DJ. Thanks so much for doing this. When we look at the Super Bowl this year, Brockford impacted a very different draft pass to that stage. I'm curious more broadly how you think the evaluation of quarterbacks has changed over the last 10 years or so, for yourself in the industry and if there's a quarterback or two in this year's class that speaks to that change?
1: Um, That's a great question. I think I I was talking to a general manager the other day and uh, I said, I think that maybe the only thing harder than playing quarterback in this league might be evaluating quarterback uh, coming into this league because every time you think you've, you've got an answer, you've got some things figured out, you've got the formula, uh, something, you know, somebody comes out and flips it on its, on its head. So um, it's, it's something you're always trying to learn. Uh, I think kind of, it goes in little waves, and and uh, right now I, it seems to be there's a, there's a lot of talk and chatter about guys that have, have experience and have played a lot of games, and Brock Purdy's kind of the poster child for that. Uh, but guys that have been in college for a while, you're not going to get the time to develop in the NFL that maybe you would previously because the financial commitment isn't as big. It's easier for teams to cycle through guys, throw them out there for two years. It doesn't work. We can flush them and go on to the next one. So you want them once they get on the field and they have to get on the field early to have some more experience under their belt. And uh, and that's been something I think people have have given more credence to the last couple of years is the guys who have some starts, which in this draft, it's interesting because you've got, you know, Knicks and Penix who have just played a ton of football. Um, and, uh, and people can talk about where the ceiling is for these guys or, you know, how much growth there is these guys are ready to play they're going to step in and, and have a chance to start right away and it's not going to be too big for them because of all the experience that they have so that's kind of one of the trends i would say that uh that's come up a lot lately
2: next question comes from mike Varrell with the seattle times mike you may ask a question
0: hey dj i wanted to ask about uh just the the big group of university of washington guys and specifically you know you've talked very highly about Rome and Fatano being a first round guy, but anybody else in that group, you mentioned Penix, but anybody else in that group has kind of jumped out to you on tape?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure we'll get to Rome and some of these other receiver discussions later, but he's my favorite player in the draft. So uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of his, Uh, you know, you talked about uh, Fatano. um, He's my 16th player Penix. We've mentioned Uh, Polk would be the next one in nine for me. Um, He's got some inside outside versatility. I thought he's got excellent catch radius. He can go get the ball. He's got some crazy acrobatic catches. You know, the 40 will be big for him. Just, uh, you know, the top end speed is, is maybe a little bit of a knock there. People uh, interested in seeing that, but just a playmaker. I'm, I'm a fan of his game. And then the next two guys, you know, Trice is a, is a real gifted edge rusher. I don't think he's the most, uh, you know, dynamic or explosive, but just he's just a really, really skilled rusher um, who's been productive he just knows how to play he's really good with his hands Uh, not gonna wow you with his bend at the top of his rush but he can just kind of pry that outside shoulder and uh, and go win and then the one that was a little bit of a surprise to me who I didn't know much about before I watched him was Dominic Hampton the safety Uh, I know he's in his sixth year um, a little bit older that this guy's got really quick eyes from the middle of the field at safety. He's physical. He'll come downhill, shed blocks. Um, You know, he's a little bit late uh, to find the ball, man coverage, but zone coverage, he sees it really, really well. So he's one I think he'll run. I think he'll run pretty well, too. I think he could be like a fourth round pick. Um, But those are uh, those are the next guys for me.
2: Next question comes from Nick Kosmeter with The Athletic. Nick, you may ask a question.
0: Thanks for taking the time, Daniel. Uh, I covered the Broncos and and recently Sean Payton said the number one thing he's looking for is, is quick processing, both out of the huddle, at the line of scrimmage. And then of course, when the play begins, but he also added that it's the most difficult thing to evaluate. Why is that still the case? Even given the proliferation of scouting departments, cognition tests and different abilities teams have, why is that still such a kind of an elusive thing to capture?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, darn near impossible. Um, you know, you, you do your best to try and figure it out and you try and watch guys and you try and see and follow their eyes and how they're getting the one to two to three and how quickly they're doing that. But without knowing, you know, how they're coached and what the scheme calls for them to do, it still makes it a little bit difficult. And in the college game, you can, you can win a lot of games on first read throws. You know, they spread people from C to sign shining C, um, you know, pre-snap where you're going with the ball, and you and you deliver it, and you can you can win games and, and get a bunch of big plays that way. So it's a little bit of a different game uh, in in that regard. I, I think there's something to uh, you know not expecting that uh, immediately once they get to the NFL too. I think there is some room to improve there. So uh, you know you can bake in some easy completions for guys early in their careers as you're trying to put more on them um, in terms of the processing, but. I'm with him. It's a it's an essential part of the position, but it is something that's uh, that's not always easy to find. Next question comes from Bob McManaman with the
2: Arizona Republic. Bob, you may ask your question. Bob, please unmute. You may ask your question.
1: Uh, Sorry about that, guys. Uh,
0: Questions about the Cardinals at number four. And uh, the receiver situation, obviously Marvin would be the guy if they're there, we think. But if he's not, are you sold that Rome or Malik is a value picket for? Or would you go with one of the tackles?
1: I would take I, I would take one of the wideouts personally. I think I think if you just look purely off of grade and not Um, you know, positional value. I tweeted this out the other day. I think you could make a case. The three highest graded players in this draft are those three receivers. Um, They are outstanding. I think they're all going to be number one guys uh, where they go. So you get different flavors, uh, you know, with Marvin, you, you kind of get, you know, the big power forward um, who can, uh, you know, who's got some, some really good quickness for a big guy and and really tracks the ball extremely well. A Dunze is going to be 200 and, close to 220 pounds. I think you're going to see him run in the low four fours um, and who's got unbelievable tracking skills uh, to go up and get it and combat catches physical. Like if you're in Arizona and you see him, I think you'll see similarities to Fitzgerald just in terms of how he attacks the ball and goes and gets it. And then neighbors is just like a stick of dynamite. I mean, he's, he's super, super explosive. Just get the ball in his hands and let him go. Um, I think there's more to him in terms of a route runner. I think he'll get more opportunities to show that at the next level. Um, but he is ultra, ultra explosive. So I, I, to me, I, I think you need some firepower. Uh, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, you need some guys who can who can go get it and go make plays. Uh, when you look at I was pulling up their numbers here, 26th in passing uh, yards per game, 24th in points per game. Um, let's get some firepower. I'd love any of those three guys. Thank you.
2: Next question comes from Jordan Rodrigue. Jordan, you may ask your question.
0: DJ, thanks for doing this every year. So generous to do that with us, appreciate that. Um, kind of asking more broadly here, um, when you have scouted or talked with scouts who have evaluated left-handed quarterbacks, whether it's college level or in the NFL, um, is there anything that sticks out in those conversations that scouts have to do differently in the visual part of their study? And is there anything you see offenses do to turn sort of that visual anomaly into a schematic advantage?
1: That's a great question. I've never been asked that question before, uh, Jordan. The uh, um, you know one of the things we've always said is that like with left-handed quarterbacks, you have to be patient with with when you bring them in. You have to be patient with your receivers just because of the adjustment it's going to take just with the spin. So you'll have some drops. It's a little bit unusual for the wideouts to get used to it, but it, you know, it doesn't take too long and then you can, uh, you can be good uh, there. I would say from a schematic advantage, you know, I would say, you know, it just depends on, on you know, some teams are some quarterbacks are really, really comfortable uh, booting to their natural hand. So to the right side, most right hand quarterbacks, they're going to be able to, uh, to deliver the ball uh, in more areas, more locations when they're going to their natural side, as opposed to some guys going left you got to really crank your shoulders around and then some guys actually aren't comfortable unless they flip. Uh, so I would imagine that if you have a left-handed quarterback, it just maybe opens up that other side of the field uh, where most defenses are kind of accustomed to uh, to seeing that go one way. It can kind of mess with your eyes a little bit uh, if, if you were going to be able to boot left a little bit more than you would to the right. So that would be off the top of my head. Um, you know, one of the things with the, we think about Penix this year as a left-handed quarterback, it's, it's he's unique because he's a little high cut and he has a like a three-quarter arm slot delivery. So not only is left-handed looks a little bit different now where the ball's coming out and he kind of hangs on his back foot, it just it it looks unusual. Um, but it's uh it's really, really snappy and whippy and the ball jumps out of his hand. But I think it it kind of takes a while to adjust your eyes when you're watching it.
0: Thanks, DJ.
2: Next question comes from Howard Eskin. Howard, you may ask your question.
0: Hi, DJ. Uh, it's this a specific question to the Eagles for for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need a linebacker, among other things, on defense. Clearly, and the people in Philadelphia are enamored with Jeremiah Trotter for obvious reasons <laughs> because it, because his, his dad obviously played here. Where do you project him? And I I saw your mock draft, and it doesn't have him in your in your first round, how good is he and where do you project him? And what do you think the Eagles will do uh, with that pick in the first round?
1: Yeah. Does Mike Schmidt's kid have a a kid come in the baseball draft here too? Can we just solve all all the problems in the whole city here? Um, To me, to me, he's look, he's a good player. I don't think he's a first round pick. Um, I'm curious to see how fast he's going to run. His game is more about instincts, which obviously are very crucial and very important. Um, at the linebacker spot. But, you know, when I watched him, he's a little bit undersized. Um, He's got really good eyes. He'll, you know, he, he sifts and sorts and he'll fill physical. Um, He can thud off blocks, which you don't see a lot of guys take on. Um, I just thought the speed and the range was just kind of so, so. So if he, if he runs well um, yeah. then I, I think he can really help himself. I think he's more where I have more in the third round personally um, but shoot, he goes out there and, and moves around really well and, and, uh, kind of aces the rest of the tests here. I think you find his way into potentially into the second round and the linebacker draft. It's really, it's not a great off the ball linebacker draft.
0: And the Eagles first round pick as you project.
1: Oh, Eagles first round pick before free agency, Howard. Um, yeah. Let's uh, I mean, I just I think when you look at what's going to be there, I think the value is probably going to be at the corner position. I think there'll be some good corners there. So I think I have taken from uh, from Missouri. Um, I I, to me, I would I would love it if somehow um, you could get Quinn Mitchell. But I think he's he's probably after the senior bowl and the tape that he's put out, he's probably going to be long gone.
0: Thank you. Thanks.
2: Thank you. As a reminder, the media, if you wish to ask a question, please utilize the raise hand function. We will get questions in that manner. Our next question comes from Eric Smith. Eric, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, thanks for doing this Uh, with the Chargers at five. It seems like they could have some options there. But what's the scenario you see where they could actually trade down from that
1: spot? Well, I think if you're the Chargers and you want to trade down, you're praying that uh, the fourth quarterback emerges um, from now to the draft. You know, I, I think when it's all said and done, it feels like it to me that you're going to have the three quarterbacks go one, two, three, you know, when we get down to it, whether that's with, you know, New England taking one or, or either them or Washington trading out somebody coming up. But it just feels to me, you know, talking to people around the lake, that seems to be the expectation. So if you're looking at who you're going to trade for, well, I don't think, you know, because there's those three top receivers, I don't know that anybody's coming up for one of those guys. Uh, the tackle depth is really good. So even though you've got players worthy of, of trading up for, there's so many of them that I don't think that would be the case. I think you're, you're rooting for JJ McCarthy. Um, you know, you're looking for McCarthy to mean Bo Nix, you need another quarterback. And if another quarterback emerges through the process, uh, then you're looking at, uh, kind of that sixth pick with the giants, the eighth pick with the Falcons, um, those viewed as quarterback potential teams then they'd be sitting in a pretty good spot for somebody trying to come up, which would be pretty nuts um, if four of the first five picks were quarterbacks. But I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility.
2: Next question comes from Michael Middlehurst-Schwartz with USA Today. Michael, you may ask your question.
0: Hey, DJ, thanks for doing this. I wanted to get your take on what you think about how this quarterback class measures up in terms of depth for starting caliber guys Uh, If you can't get Caleb Williams
2: and you're a team in that range of commanders to Broncos or Raiders uh, and you have to supposedly settle, uh, how confident can you be in finding a high quality starter uh, from the next level of guys from May down to maybe later options like Bo Nix and Michael
1: Penix? Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, I I really think that Bo Nix is going to be a starter pretty early on. I catch the guy started 61 games, uh, played really well last year. He's accurate. He makes good decisions. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, people can talk about the, the the ceiling upside. I think his arm's a little bit liver than, than, uh, than maybe you give him credit for. Um, he just executed the offense as it was designed there. And I know some people get hung up on what happened with him at Auburn. And it's like, man, you know, we've seen so many examples of quarterbacks shining at their second spot. And I actually think, you know, him and Penix, both those guys going through adversity in their first stop, I think is good for them. Um, wherever they land. But I, yeah, I know, I think, I think there's those six guys I think are, uh, you know, have starting potential. So I think there's, you know, I, I don't, you know, where if you have a guy and you think he's the 28th player on your board or the 27th player on your board and you're picking 12 or 14 and you need a quarterback, it's very, it's very easy to talk yourself into that.
2: Next question comes from Andrew Callahan with the Boston Herald. Andrew, you
1: may ask a question. Hey, DJ, it's good to speak with you. Thanks as always for taking the time. Uh, I know we're asking you a lot about evaluating players here, but I wonder if you could give a scouting report on an executive. Elliot Wolf, taking over in New England. Uh, what do you know about what he values, what his process is like with the Green Bay background, and how do you see the Patriots' philosophy changing under his leadership? Well, I you know I don't know him personally well. We were scouting uh, on the West Coast together a million years ago. Uh, gosh, it's probably been twenty years now. Uh, but so you always watch people scouts. We know you all kind of know who everybody is, and you and you pay attention. He was always somebody that worked hard. Obviously, when you have uh, the family history that he does, it it'd have been easy to maybe try and coast or cruise. He didn't. He never did that. He he started at the bottom. He worked his way up. Um, he kind of grinded through it. In terms of how it can change, I would say the Patriots were maybe one of the more uh, niche drafting teams in the league where they catch you off guard a little bit because it was so uh, obsessed with fit that they might take a guy two or three rounds before anybody else in the league would take him, And they don't really care because they're just winning trophies every year. Uh, So they could be uh, a little bit. Outside the, the, the lines, a little outside the norm with some of that stuff, I don't think Elliott will do that. I think you look at the Green Bay history, you know, some of the track record there. You look at offensive linemen that are versatile. Um, you look at wide receivers who have kick return background that are really, really good after the catch. Um, you know, those are, are some of the traits uh, that, that just that jump out to me from the, from the Packers and the way they've done things forever and how he would have been trained up just, you know, from his dad. So um, I think those would be a couple of the changes. Awesome. Thank you. Yep.
2: Next question comes from Mike K. Mike, you may ask your question.
1: Hey DJ, thanks for doing this. I'm just curious. I know Drake may is uh, your second quarterback and fourth overall uh, prospect, but what, what can he do during this draft journey to maybe solidify that stance and and potential? uh, Um, Sorry, you cut, you cut out on me a little bit there. Um, in terms of Drake solidifying it or helping himself through the process. Um, you know, one of the things with him, well, two things. I'll give you one thing physically and then another, another thing he can do. But the one thing physically, and I know in talking to uh, his quarterback coach, David Morris, who does a, a really good job, you know, I thought there were times this year compared to last year where he got a little elongated, a little long with his delivery. Uh, I know they've been working on that. So that would be the physical thing I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, whether that's at the combine or his pro day. Um, just seeing if he's been able to tighten that up a little bit. Um, And then the second thing is going to be just meeting with teams. I I think it'll be helpful for him to explain uh, some things because when I watch the tape, I have questions of just, man, he gets a lot of unblocked pressures and there doesn't seem to be answers, whether that's, you know, a hot route, whether that's in terms of what they're doing protection wise to to help him out. Um, That's something when you're watching tape, I'm watching it, going, man, I would love to sit down with him and kind of, go through this and say, what, what, a, you know, have they, did they give you the answers here? Um, is this something you could have done here? Uh, is this something on the outside that wasn't corrected? I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of times where I'm watching him with pressure in his face and I freeze it and I'm like, I don't know where the heck he's supposed to go with this thing. So um, that'll be something that he can you know, help himself just by being able to go through that tape and explain it to teams. But the ability, you know, the size, the arm strength, the athleticism, um, the playmaking stuff, that's all, it's all there.
2: Next question comes from Dave Burkett with the Detroit Free Press. Dave, you may ask your question.
0: Hey, DJ, uh, good to see you as always. Um, good to
1: see you, bud.
0: I ask this just because it's a copycat league, but, you know, the Lions were maybe a little bit unconventional last year, going running back, linebacker, tight end, safety early, positions down the pecking order, um, and all, all those guys had pretty pretty good rookie years. What, what impact, if any, do you think – that could have on other teams or decision makers, like, will there be a lion's effect where teams say, you know, screw the positional value or traits or whatever. And I'm just, you know, what matters is is what I'm getting now
1: out of the draft. I'll uh, I might surprise you with this answer. I don't think there's going to be any, any uh, copycat here because I think we've focused so much on them, you know, taking those, you know, quote unquote non value positions, but we've ignored the fact that, yeah, when you build, when you've already built the foundation, then you can go do that. I mean, that's that draft was successful because of what they did, what Brad and those guys did previously to build up the line of scrimmage on both sides. You know, they had the quarterback in place. They, they hit on a home run on the wide receiver. So the the expensive premium positions, they'd already built the foundations that freed them up. It's a huge advantage uh, over the rest of the league where you can take, you know, the, the running back. You can, you know, obviously a tight end hits a home run. You can take off the ball linebacker. You You can do those things once the foundation is built. I still think personally the right thing to do is to build the foundation, and then you can go do what the Lions did last year. But I'm not so certain that as great as those players were and was awesome that you would have seen them flourish and shine as much as they did if they didn't have the quarterback in place and the offense and the defensive line in place.
0: Thank you.
2: Next question comes from Arnie Stapleton with the Associated Press. Arnie, you may ask a question.
1: Hey, DJ, thanks again. Uh, for doing this, um, I, I wanted
2: now that we've hit full throttle, so to speak, on the transfer portal in college. I'm
1: curious, uh, it used to be that if a, if a player had multiple schools, multiple coaches, it was a red flag for the talent evaluators. I'm wondering, has that <clears throat> diminished entirely? And, uh, and then secondly, does the NIL sort of give talent evaluators another inflection point? You can kind of see how. It, kid might have handled fame and fortune before they even get to the pros. Yeah, I, I, I think there's good sides to it. Um, I think you brought up a great point there at the end. One of the, uh, you know, there's there's two things. If you look at players that you miss on, I know it, you always – I always go back. There's always plenty to choose from of guys that I've missed on over the years and, and try and self-scout. And when you talk to teams and get information on maybe why it didn't it work out, two, two things happen a lot are they don't know – they don't know how to handle adversity. And then other thing is sometimes they don't know how how to handle, you know, money, fame, all, all that kind of stuff that goes along with it, all the distractions that money can, can bring. So now you're getting a chance to, uh, to, to see them in that situation, basically be a professional before they even get to you and see how they, how they handle themselves. So I think that can, that can be a plus. The transfer thing in terms of impacting guys and grades. No, I mean, that that's, it's not really an issue anymore. I know once upon a time you could say, oh, well, I didn't work out here or there. It would come up in draft meetings. But, I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I'm old enough uh, to remember when I first started in 03 that I remember discussions in the draft room about uh, a player having tattoos. And it's like, think about how, how silly that is when you know, we fast forward 20 years ago. So, uh, yeah, some things become less and less important, and, uh, and nobody really cares about the transfer thing anymore.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from James Crepia with the
0: Oregonian. James,
2: you may ask your question.
0: Thanks, Daniel. I uh, wanted to uh, get your perspective on a, a couple of the underclassmen for the Ducks uh, who are in this draft and uh, Troy Franklin and, uh, and Jackson Powers Johnson, who obviously was uh, uh, terrific as a starter this year, but just had mm-hmm. the one year as a starter. Uh, you saw, saw that they, you had them in their top 50 uh, for mm-hmm. you. Well, what do you see from uh, those two guys?
1: Yeah, it's fun. Uh, Fun guys to study. And with Franklin, (laughs) I look, I gave him a good grade in my first list. He's my 39th player. I liked him a lot, but I think I'm end up coming up on him because I just finished, you know, going through all these guys uh, for the combine and I saw a lot of corners with a lot of blood on their hands, courtesy of Franklin. I mean, he just runs by everybody. Um, So big time, big time juice, tall, lean, explosive. Um, He can beat press with his quickness. He's cleaning out of breaks for, for a taller guy um it just it is uh it's fun to watch him really track the ball and go get it a big time home run hitter so I I think he's I think he'll go 20s to 30s he's gonna he's gonna go somewhere in there I expect he'll probably run really fast in Indy um we look at the center Jackson Powers Johnson it's hard to find guys that big that can move like that you know you 334 pounds you can't get through him. He just kind of catches guys and absorbs them. in pass pro, he's quick to the second level. He's really good on combo blocks. Um, he's got some nasty to him. He's a bulldog. Um, got some real some snap and some pop in his hands. He was having a great week until he got nicked up at the Senior Bowl too. So, you know, it, I think he's I think he's going to find his way into the to the bottom portion of the first round. He's too clean of a player, um, and it's just somebody that can anchor your offensive line for the next decade.
2: Next question comes from EJ Smith with the Philadelphia Inquirer. EJ, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, appreciate you doing this as always. Um, the Eagles go into the offseason uh pretty sparse at running back. Um, who are some of the guys potentially on day two that you maybe think could like uh, at least come in like as a featured role type of type of type of back?
1: Yeah, I think day two is the is gonna be the running back day. I'm curious to see. I I'm I have a little bit of a theory here because I've I've got about six to eight running backs that are very closely graded. I don't have any of them up to where we had Bijan or Gibbs last year, like with, with those types of grades, but six to eight really solid players. I I wonder if we're going to see a game of chicken in the second round where teams are saying, well, we've got the grade to take this guy here, Uh, but we don't want to be the first one in line. We just need to make sure we're not the last one in line. So uh, does that push the running backs down? Maybe we, could get to you know the bottom of the second, maybe even the top of the third round, and then once the first one goes, I think you'll see all these guys uh, come off the board. But some of the names, you know, Jonathan Brooks coming off injury from Texas, um, he's he's as talented as any of these guys. My my two favorites are are Jalen Wright from Tennessee, who's just real springy and juicy. You know, stop-start quickness, home run hitter, finishes runs. Um, he can get skinny through the hole. Really, really quick feet. He's 210 pounds, so he's got a little bit of size to him, enough size to him. But he's probably the fastest, the most explosive of all these guys. Um, And then uh, Marshawn Lloyd from SC, 217 pounds, uh, reminded me, ironically, of DeAndre Swift. That was my comp for him. Um, But patient. uh, He's explosive. I think he'll run really well in Indianapolis as well. Uh, Kind of an aggressive attacking running style. Um, but those are two of, two of my favorites, along with a little bit undersized version there of Bucky Irving, who reminds me of Devin Singletary, ultra quick, um, full speed change of direction stuff, very elusive. <coughs> he caught uh, 58 balls, too, so good in the pass game. So those are my three favorite guys, just in terms of watching them. Ray Davis from Kentucky, Esme from Notre Dame, uh, Braylon Allen from Wisconsin, Trey Benson. Those guys are all in that mix together.
2: Next question comes from Jonathan Alexander with the Houston Chronicle. Jonathan, you may ask your question. DJ, thanks for doing this. Man. I appreciate it. Um, I'm curious, it, it, as I'm sure you've talked to like many people around the league, I'm curious why you felt like looking back, so many people had Bryce Young number one over CJ Stroud. Uh, considering the years, I know a lot of factors are involved in the years that they had, but what do you feel like people were kind of low on CJ Stroud and do you feel like, at all, what happened will kind of change the perspective of teams as they evaluate these quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, to me, it's hard. It's hard to uh, it's hard to, to to figure it out every year. You can say some years um, it's the smaller guy that's better, other years the bigger guy. Some years it's a big school guy. Some years it just it changes all the time. But with CJ, you know, I I knew he was a really gifted thrower like just re- the combine last year i said it was as good a combine uh session as i've ever seen it from a quarterback always on balance um every type of throw always using the amount of pace on the ball that's necessary not more not less um uh, it just he was he was outstanding as a thrower i thought um with him you know the Prior to the Georgia game, it was okay. Well, can he create? Is he, you know he's kind of a stationary guy. Can he create? Uses athleticism, and then the Georgia game showed you in that game absolutely he could do that. Um, but then outside of that, I to be able to play as fast as he has is I don't know that I've ever seen a rookie come in and see everything so clearly and play with just ultimate confidence. I've never, you know, I don't know that I've seen a rookie do that and trusting what he sees like that. So he, to me, um, I, I don't know if if, uh, if anybody could predict that it would be that good that fast. So uh, that was, you know, congrats to the Texans. They hit an absolute home run. And then with Bryce, hey, let's be, let's be a little bit patient here. I know it didn't look good last year, but with quarterbacks, you, you think about the things you'd love to have in place. We always talk about the three Ps. You, you know, you want protection, you want playmakers, and you want a play caller. Well, he had a bunch of different play callers. His protection wasn't very good, and they don't have much in terms of playmakers. So uh, let's let's let some uh, some improvements take place in Carolina before we uh, we cast him off. So uh, I'm, I'm still you know bullish on him and excited to see him get a little bit better opportunity.
2: Next question comes from Adam Beasley. Adam, you may ask your question.
1: EJ, how you doing, man? Good,
0: buddy. So I wanted to ask you about the uh, Dolphins are twenty one. I see you have an edge rusher for them. What's your philosophy on picking in the twenties? You're not going to have obviously the the cleanest prospects you have earlier in the draft. Would you go with a solid, just plug and play type, or
1: would you look for upside in that range? Well, to me, you're the you're the Miami Dolphins. You're right in the smack dab in the middle of your window. Um, so, yeah, To me, you can look at upside, you know, guys that are ready right now, I, I would probably look, you know, I always think about what and Newsom used to always say, let's just hit doubles in the first round. They'll strike out. I think I'm the Miami Dolphins. I want somebody to come in and, and can help me that I've, uh, you know, feels a rock solid player ready to roll right now. Um, that would be, you know, kind of the area that I'd be leaning to. If you have a choice between player A and player B, I might be a little more conscious of the floor um, just you know, just personally where they are. And a lot of times those high floor picks end up being really, really good players. Thanks, man. Mm
2: -hmm. Next question comes from Antoine Staley. Antoine, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, uh, I wanted to ask you about the Jets and just kind of day two what they're looking at. Uh, obviously, they don't have a second round pick due to Aaron Rodgers, but just the potential uh, targets you might see for them because
0: they need wide receiver help, maybe some safety, defensive tackle, and maybe some depth on the offensive line too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look. Everybody's talking about the Jets. Do you go wide out? Do you go tackle with that first pick? Um, I know one thing: if you can get the tackle, I feel a lot better about the third round wideouts than I do about. Throughout the third round, tackle. So um, that to me would make that I would lean more in that tackle direction early because in the third round, um, you got some really really interesting guys. Um, you know Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky's got you know big time juice, big time run after catch stuff. Um, he is a is a total stud. You've got Roman Wilson from Michigan who can fly. I talked about him a little earlier. Ricky Pearsall from Florida, um, who's just a, a real loose, fluid, excellent route runner and you know, got some insane catches. You want to get Charlotte. He might have the catch of the year of all these guys in the draft His catch against Charlotte's ridiculous, but real quick, real fast. Um, and, and can make some things happen after the catch. I can go on. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of wide receivers every year. We do this every year. We talk about this. Um, uh, it's a really, really intriguing mix of wideouts. So in the tackle wideout discussion, I think if it's close, you go tackle early. You can come back for the wideout safeties in that third round range. Um, uh, you know, you've got Javon Bullard from Georgia, good player. Um, we'll see what happens with, with Jaden Hicks from Washington State. If he runs well, he'll, he'll probably be gone by then. Um, but you also have like Malik Mustafa from, from Wake Forest, Tykey Smith from Georgia. Um, there's some interesting guys, some interesting safeties. I don't think it's a great safety class. I don't think we even have one. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe Newbin uh, goes in the top 50 from Minnesota in the second round, but man, we might not have a safety in in the top 50 picks. It's possible. Next
2: question. Next question comes from Matthew Paris Mm -hmm. with the times Picky Yoon. Matt, you may ask your question.
0: Hey, DJ, just going back to the tackles. What do you think makes a good, like day one starter at tackle and with the saints, you know, missing on maybe Trevor Penning, um, with Latham. Is there any concern there given the, what you mentioned earlier with kind of his eyes and stuff that he might not be a, a day one a starter at tackle?
1: Um, gosh, you know, in terms of, you know, pinning specifically, you know, he was, he was so over-aggressive. And I think sometimes you struggle with guys like that where the over aggressiveness itself can get you in trouble. And then you get inside your own head and you're trying to pull back um, and now you're, you're late on things. So now he was a kind of a tricky one there, but you know, I, I with offensive tackles, you start with the feet. You know, do you have the feet? Can you get yourself out of a out of out of a bad situation. In other words, can, you know, you get beat? Can you recover enough to stay attached? Whether that's inside, whether that's outside, um, you know, that type of uh, you know that that type of athleticism and footwork is kind of like the baseline. If you can't do that, you probably can't play. Um, and can't hold up there. But uh, the other thing is. You know, and can you can you really sit now? Can you can you can you hold your own against power? Because in the NFL, you're going to see power rushers every week. Um, and then your eyes, as you mentioned, you know, and are you able to see things clearly? Uh, especially now, I think you're going to see even more of it with the you know kind of the complexity in the college game of the Michigan defense, the complexity of the Ravens defense in the NFL. Uh, everybody's copying those schemes, which really really challenges the eyes and the communication of the offensive line. So. Uh, those you know, those skills I think are probably going to be uh, even more important this year than they've been in the past.
2: Next question comes from Tom Krasovich with the CN- San Diego Union Tribune. Tom, you
0: may ask your question. Hi, Daniel. When you look at uh, Michael Penix's uh playoff games, you know, against Texas, he has so many beautiful throws, and then we saw him against Michigan, it looked like a different guy. If you could break down those two evaluations from an NFL perspective and how it would affect you if you were one of those teams looking for a quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the, the semifinal game was awesome. I mean, he moved around better in the pocket than I had seen him previously, which was good to see. I mean, he threw some seeds in that game, um, just, you know, back foot missiles where he just kind of hangs on his back foot and the ball jumps out of his hand. But, I, I, you know, I think to me he's he's outstanding on over the top, kind of those those touch throws down the field, deep ball throwers, beautiful. He can really drive the ball, especially the perimeter. I thought that the thing that showed up in the, in the championship game, number one, they hit the stuffing out of him. Um, so they got to him. I thought that kind of uh, rattled him a little bit from that standpoint. I didn't think the pocket movement was, you know, as good as we saw in the previous game. And then I think he – you know, the throw that I want to see from him – Uh, it's just that kind of up and down throw. Can you get it up and and over and and get it down, which requires a lot of touch and a lot of feel? Um, you know, that's something that's not really his strength. So those would be the, you know, the the different examples of those two games, but from a scouting standpoint, I think you're looking at saying, okay, how do you, if you're going to take him, how do we put an offense around him that makes sense and that fits him? And, um, you know, Hey, I'd, I'd want an offense with a lot of drive throws. You can get under center play action, driving comebacks, uh, pushing the ball vertically down the field. I think he he goes to a team with a really good run game. I think, you know, off of play action and a vertical passing game is probably going to be his best fit.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from Ben Volan with the Boston Globe. But ben, you may ask your question.
0: Hey, Dan, thanks so much for doing this today. Great to hear from you. Um, you. I'm curious about, curious about the Patriots at number three. Seems like a tricky decision because of the wealth of options that they have. Uh, if you're the Patriots, do you just take whichever quarterback falls to you, or do you really consider Marvin Harrison or one of the wide receivers?
1: Um, you know, I think obviously, you, you, you know, they'll do their homework on all of the, the different options there. To me, it would be tough to pass on a quarterback. Um, just, you know, you're not guaranteed to be up here again. There's no guarantee of what future years, what it looks like uh, at the position. I think you've got, you've got three guys that are worthy of, of consideration there. I just I go back to and I think we might even have talked about this uh, personally, but just being in that stadium last year, it was kind of I didn't recognize it. Obviously the team wasn't wasn't good, but in there's been so much energy and juice in that building every other time I've been in there, and it was just so flat and it was it wasn't a, it wasn't just a bad team. It was a boring team. Like there's just no juice, no excitement whatsoever. And I look at whether, you know, whichever one's there, if it's any of those top three quarterbacks, those guys that bring so much energy and life to your to your franchise. It just feels right. You've got new leadership in place. It's kind of like this whole new whole new chapter for the New England Patriots. So they're 30th in yards per game, tied for last in points per game. Um, I love Marvin Harrison Jr. I love him. He is a great player, but it would be hard um, with where they're positioned at that point where they're set up right now at that position to pass on quarterback. Thanks, man.
2: Yep. Next question comes from Q Myers. Q, you may ask your question. DJ,
1: with that being said about the
2: Patriots in there at number three, if they chose to trade back in a team like the Raiders that's in there at 13,
0: try to move, make that huge move all the way up there, what would that cost?
1: Um, all right. I think I've got that for you. I ran the numbers on some of these trades. Um, for – well, this would, be, this would be the Raiders. Um, let's see here. Yeah, the Raiders go up to three. So here's your cost for the Raiders to go up to three. It would be the 13th overall pick. It would be your first round pick and third round pick in 25 and your first round pick in 26. So, uh, yeah, it's not cheap. Um, a couple ones, uh, well, 13th this year and then two more. So three total ones as well as a third round pick, which... Um, man if you love a quarterback and he can be your guy for the next decade plus um, you know I, I could i could get behind that that's we'll talk about this at the combine on the coverage uh, when we do some of these quarterback chats the the track record of the quarterbacks that got traded up for has not been good um, there's usually a reason why teams are willing to move off that spot um, and that uh, uh, that hasn't uh, traditionally bode very well for the teams that were aggressive coming up for guys so, one thing to keep in mind, but man, if you love it, and uh, it's a bold move, but uh, I don't know who their quarterback is right now. So if they don't land somebody in free agency, maybe that even makes them uh, it makes them more inclined to go do that. You also have the, you know, you have the Antonio Pierce connection with Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, so I'm sure they'll know him extremely well.
2: Thank you. Next question comes from R.J. Abatia. R.J., you you asked your question. Hey, DJ, just
0: curious. What do you think of Caleb's
2: two top targets, Brendan Rice and Taj Washington?
1: Yeah, uh, let's start first of all with Taj. Uh, He was a pleasant surprise when I watched him because I I didn't know what to expect there. He's not the biggest guy in the world, uh, but super, super quick, ultra tough. Uh, He went off on their bowl game too, uh, had a great bowl game. But uh, you know, a little quicker than fast. He's got instincts on broken plays. When you're playing with Caleb, there's going to be a lot of, of scrambles and crazy stuff happening. He's got a really good feel on that. Made a bunch of plays. I think he's better on the move than he was kind of gearing down and working back downhill. But you know, somebody just get the ball in his hands and and let him go. Um, and I, all accounts by uh, folks at the school as well as where he's uh, where he's been working out. I've heard he's a great kid. Um, so I uh, liked him a lot. I think you probably he's probably in that fourth round range. Uh Brendan Rice, I think there's some second round love for him. He's big, he's gonna run fast. Uh he did a better job catching the ball. I think he cut his drop rate in half uh from last year to this year. Last year, he had some some issues catching the ball. Uh, but real tough, uh, draws a ton of pass interference penalties uh when you're watching him. Uh has that vertical speed. He's a real violent runner. Like he's he's kind of uh, he's kind of a ground pounder, but a lot of times guys that do that aren't fast he's kind of unique that everything he does is real deliberate kind of violent, but he can, but he can run. So he had a good week at the senior bowl. I think he's probably on that, you know, in that borderline of the late second into the uh, maybe the, to the middle of the third round, that's probably his range of where he'll go.
2: Thank you. Nick, next question comes from Michael Grant. Michael, you may ask your question.
0: Hey, um, I was wondering as far as what should a typical fan who wants to watch the combine, what what is, are some of the things they should be looking for that would make it an enjoyable and learning experience for them? What should they be watching out for? And number two, uh, is there anything you would change about uh, draft coverage that would be uh, beneficial for fans?
1: Oh, good questions. Um, well, I think you just come for Rich Eisen's wit. First of all, I think that's what's you know you're on TV that long. I think that's our number one starter there. So that's that's why you keep it entertaining. There a lot of pop culture references. Um, the uh, in terms of you know what to look for, look the '40s are the are the highlight for everybody because you have history and you can compare what this guy ran this year to what you know Hall of Famer said Hall of Famer ran in years past. So there's context to it. I think context is very key to the combine and just being able to relate what you're seeing now versus not only what you're going to see on the field in games, but also in reference to what we've seen previous guys do at the same event, the same surface, all that stuff. It's the apples to apples comparison. So that's, uh, that's something I think that's, uh, that's good to watch. I think the, the by position stuff changes in terms of where the importance lies where, you know, like like a, a pass rusher, an edge rusher, the vertical and the broad jump are probably going to be, you know, we're going to care more about that. Um, it's an explosive movement and uh, it, it it correlates pretty pretty well. Offensive linemen, um, you look at the ten, how quickly they get out, and then when you get out to the field work, um, and one of the things to keep an eye on, look at you can find out who's really in shape, like whose hands are on their on their hips, on the, who's bending over. Uh, who has a really a big gas tank and has really been putting in work and is uh, and is ready to go. So lots of different things you can look at there. What I would change, um, ah, well, I mean the changes I would like to see we'll never see. I would like to see competition. You are never going to see competition. Agents and the and the player association would never go for it. But man, it sure would be fun to be sitting up there with Rich, uh, you know, watching on Arnold uh, go out there and cover, uh, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. That would be a heck of a lot of fun. But I say that knowing it will never happen.
2: Next question comes from Ray Fittipalda. Ray, you may ask your question.
0: And Daniel, it seems like a decade ago, the, the NFL was trying to find ways to limit the number of underclassmen headed to the draft every year. And now it seems like we're almost at the other end of the spectrum. Um, what
2: are GMs saying about it? Are they okay with it? And how, how do you think it you know changes their approach
1: to this draft? I think they're okay with it and excited about you know the future of it. I think we're kind of that we're in the middle year now where, you know, we have, uh, you know, we don't have that influx of, of juniors, but we don't have, you know, some of the top guys from the previous year because it's just this new phenomenon. So I think it's made this year's group a little light. Um, I think next year, you know, what we're end up doing is we'll just have a more experienced uh, draft class, which is, which is good for it's, I think it's good for everybody. It's good for the player. He gets more development there. He finishes, you know, college. That's great for them. It's great for the college coaches. They have, you know, older, more mature players that that are experienced. Um, It works for evaluators. It's just more, you know, there's more canvas to look at there. There's more to evaluate. There's more of a track record, good or bad. Um, So that makes it, it, it easier for them. So I think it's, it's, it's great all the way around. We're just in that in between year this year where, um, I think at certain positions specifically, it really falls off earlier than it has in the past. Um, and I don't think the draft is quite as deep because we don't have the underclassmen, but yet we don't have the, you know, all those experienced guys that we'll get next year. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird year that way.
2: Next question comes from Kelsey Russo. Kelsey, you may ask your question. Hi, Daniel. i um, Looking more at the later second round um, and kind of in context of the Browns, who is, I guess, a really
0: intriguing prospect or two that stands out in in that grouping um, that maybe isn't, I guess, talked about as much.
1: Yeah. Second round grouping. So if we're looking at the, if we're looking at the Cleveland Browns, I mean, you're looking at some D tackles, maybe some linebackers. Um, so if I, if I look in that range, second round defensive tackles. Uh, Braden Fisk is one that I really, really like, uh, from Florida state, uh, who transferred out of the Mac. He's a really, really good player. He's going to test like a freak too. Uh, he'll test well at the combine, but real quick shoots gaps, effort chase. He can play every position. He finds the ball. He's got really good instincts. Uh, not real long, uh, but a good player at a great week at the senior bowl. So he's one in that mix. Um, uh, you, you look at uh, an int- intriguing guy with Mason Smith from LSU, um, who doesn't have a ton of production, but he's 6'6, 310 pounds, really good as a freshman, or really good his first year. Wouldn't, you know, coming off an ACL last year, didn't quite see the same player, uh, but has some, some quickness, has some traits, um, you know, just get him fully healthy. I think there's kind of an upside play there with a guy like that. Um, so those are a couple D tackles. The linebackers in that second round range. Um, you know, I think Colson, uh, who we talked about from Michigan, probably in there, um, who's uh, just real instinctive, plays downhill, can cover tight ends. Uh, he was hurt. He was beat up a lot this year, played through it at Michigan, kind of show you the toughness and the leadership that you want there from, from that position. And Peyton Wilson uh, from NC State uh, kind of remind me of Kiko Alonso coming out of college, but, uh, you know, wrestling background has had some injuries, but really, really instinctive, ton of speed, ton of range, um, just a, a really good player. So those those two positions in the second-round range, that's uh, some intriguing names for me.
0: Thank you.
2: Next question comes from Dave Zangaro. Dave, you may ask a question. Hey, DJ. I know
0: cornerback has been a
2: popular position for the Eagles at 22. Uh, how do you see the value lining up there? And then when you kind of look at the depth, at corner in this draft, is it worth it to get one in the first
1: round? I I, I think it's worth it. I mean, I think it's a good group of corners. Um, I go about – I think I have about 14, 15 kind of with that top three round grade uh, range there, which is a good number. But, uh, no, I think there's guys worthy of in there. Um, and I think you – you know, once you get through that top group, I think there's a lot – like that second, third round range, a good number of those guys are going to be nickels. So in terms of guys that can play outside, um, you know, with the versatility, play inside. I think there'll be good options for them there, where they're picking. Uh, Wiggins is one I'm curious about, keep an eye on from Clemson. He's, uh, you know, he's big and ultra, ultra fast, uh, a really, really fluid kid, and uh, I think he's. You'll see him kind of rise up as we're, as we're going through the process. Cooper DeGene from Iowa is, is pretty intriguing as well. Uh, those guys are kind of. In that in that range for me, I think I had him taking Rake Straw from uh, from Missouri. Who's my he's my third corner? Um, Kind of has some slate to him. Kind of built a little little similar to Slay. Really, really, just tough, uh, feisty, uh, compression Plays with a ton of energy, which I love. Which I think they would uh, they would get a kick out of there in Philly. Just passionate, energetic dude. But real fluid, real fast, real tough.
2: Next question comes from Garrett Downing with the Baltimore Ravens. Garrett, you may ask your question.
1: Hey, Daniel, just in terms of the Ravens,
0: I know in, the, in your first mock you have them going offensive tackle um, mm-hmm. in, in the first round, and certainly they have potential needs there with some questions at that tackle spot. I'm, I'm curious if uh, you'd like the options for the Ravens who could be available at the end of the first round at the tackle position and just kind of what you make of this tackle class.
1: Yeah, it's a uh... – it's a loaded tackle class just in terms of that, that top group. And there's 10, 11 guys uh, that are really interesting. I think we'll see a bunch of starters, a bunch of day one starters out of that tackle group in terms of trying to guess, you know, especially pre free agency of what, you know, what the Ravens will do. They've they're One of the reasons why they've been so good is they've been a best available team. And they, everybody says that, but what it usually means is best available at the position we need. Uh, The Ravens, truly will use best available. They will take the best guy that's there. And if it happens to be a tackle, they'll do it. If it's another position, uh, they won't pass up talent. So um, I think in that one, I had Mims falling down there. Probably unlikely he makes it that far, a huge mammoth uh, tackle from uh, from Georgia. But, uh, you know, you've got Tyler Guyton and Mims is kind of these two big, you know, just kind of freaks, like just big, physical, uh, athletic, kind of rare, rare guys. They're a little bit raw, um, but there's a huge upside there. If one of those guys were to fall to him, um, you know, I think that would be a home run pick. Thank you. Next,
2: next question comes from Chris Bambaca with USA Today. Chris, you may ask your question.
1: Hey, Daniel. Thanks for doing this. I think you just
0: referred to uh, Cooper DeGene <laughs> as an intriguing yeah. prospect. Um, mm-hmm.
2: What stands out to you while when you're evaluating him and which secondary spot do you see him
0: gravitating toward in the NFL?
1: Yeah, I think he can play anywhere. Um, you know, that's one of the things I love about him is uh, you know it's you're drafting a big time athlete who's just got you know he's got football instincts, he's got ball skills. You know, at corner there's one just one little thing that just bothered me a little bit. I just think there's a little bit of a pause in his transition. But uh, you know, that's yeah, I'm probably nitpicking a little bit there. But I, I to me I I like the fact of having a guy that you could play. You know, he could play nickel, be kind of a big physical nickel. You could play as a high safety. Let him do that. So you know, I, I think you kind of sort it out. I, it's probably—I hate saying it this way—but you, you almost kind of sort it out when you get him there and see who you've got. He allows you almost like an offensive lineman that's versatile. He allows you to get your best, you know, five DBs on the field uh, because of uh, his versatility and athleticism to be able to play in any spot. So um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pigeonhole him into to, to corner, nickel, safety at this point in time. I'd say, hey. Get him in there. I think he's somebody that's going to be able to learn everything um, and and evaluate the rest of your roster and use him where you need to use him.
2: Next question comes from Matt Mead. Matt, you may ask your question. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for the time. Uh, Just want to touch – pick your brain. We obviously uh, top three quarterbacks with Drake May, Caleb Williams, and Jaden Daniels. The Vikings sitting at 11. If they don't trade up, we're looking at the next group of Bo Nicks, J.J. McCarthy – and Michael panics uh, out of those three, who do you think is the best fit of that next group of QBs for the potential next QB of the Minnesota Vikings?
1: Um, gosh, that's a good one. I would say, man, I, I could, I, I would probably lean more towards McCarthy on that one. Um, I just think he would, you know, he, everything he does in terms of you know, accurately delivering the football, his ability to kind of move around a little bit. Um, I, I I think he'll the way he sees everything and is kind of plays under control I think Kevin O'Connell would like him and you can still use his legs too to get out and go a little bit um, so that would be the one off top of my head i would say would, would make some sense there if you're looking at if they wanted to trade up by the way if we full, uh, put them into that formula we were talking about to get up to number three you're talking about the uh talking about the 11th pick the first round pick in 25 and a first round pick in 26. So that would be the cost for them to get up to number three if you're the Minnesota Vikings, if they want to go get one of those top three guys.
2: Awesome. Thank you for your feedback. Yep. Next question comes from Andrew Mentok. Andrew, you may ask your question.
1: Hi, I cover nerdy football and I know they had three defenders who seem to do (laughs) fairly well at the senior bowl and J.D. Bertrand, Maris, Leah and Cam Hart. I'm wondering what your thoughts on any of them are and if any of them seem to stand out to you that week. Yeah, I, I like Bertrand as a player. Um, you know, again, I don't think it's a great linebacker class. I think that helps him. Um, you know, he kind of plays downhill. He'll he's aggressive. He's got some range and not a lot of finesse to his game. He's a little bit tight as well, um, but just sees the field really, really well. Uh, Cam Hart, I thought. You know, the last thing I wrote on him was just the, there's upside. I, I don't think he's got it all yet. I don't think he's got it all figured out just yet in terms of finding and playing the ball consistently. Um, but he's big. He's he's fast. He's got some fluidity to him. Uh, He's tough. You know, the the way he'll go hit you and and support, Um, I think there's still some development there. But I thought he took a good step uh, at the senior bowl. And I think there's you know, I really think there's something to work with there and there's some upside. So those would be the two to me that, uh, that stood out the most.
2: Next question comes from John Glennon. John, you may ask your question. All right, we'll go to the next one. Our next question comes from James Johnson. James, you may ask your question. What's up, DJ? We appreciate your time as usual. Um, I have a question um, in regards to the Jags here. Um, One thing when you look at their team that they need, even if they keep Calvin Ridley, they need like an X receiver split in type. Um, You know, obviously there are some guys you mentioned in the first round of your mock draft. Uh, If you would, can you talk about some that fit that mold of what they need there, even um, when you look inside the first round and maybe even a little bit outside of the first round?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you've got a couple of them. You look at, uh, you know, Adonai Mitchell from Texas would be one uh, that I would think would would factor in there. He's going to, by the way, buckle up for the uh, buckle up for his combine. He'll put on a show. Uh, He is going to fly. He's going to jump out of the gym. Uh, both the Texas kids are gonna to do really well. Uh, but anyways, he, he would be one. He could fit that role. Keon Coleman from Florida State's another one. Um, have those guys pretty close together. Uh, so those would be two, a little bit different style. Mitchell gonna be much faster than Coleman. Coleman's got uh, kind of some freaky uh, ball skills and uh, you know he can really uh, he can contort himself and adjust down the field, but uh, you know, kind of a physical guy. Uh, those would be uh, two off top of my head. If you want to go down into that next tier, uh, now you could start getting like Xavier Leggett from, uh, you know, from South Carolina. I uh, can be one of those guys. There's a, there's a bunch of them I and mean, there's a bunch of wideouts in this draft. So uh, those would be a couple off top of my, uh, top of my head. Brian Thomas is uh he's somebody I think could, could play anywhere uh, from LSU. Big time, big time speed. Um, I wrote in my, uh, my notes on him, death by slot fade. Uh, Jaden Daniels hit him on a bunch of those. So he's uh He's somebody that can play inside, play outside, play on the ball, off the ball, you name it. He can do everything.
2: Next question comes from Travis Wingfield with the Miami Dolphins. Travis, you may ask a question.
1: Hey, DJ, appreciate your time as always on these. uh, We saw both Shanahan and McVay this year pivot to a little bit more man and gap running Mm -hmm. schemes and some more true drop back passes in addition to their wide zone and play action games. I'm curious which players in this year's O-line class have the traits required to be part of an offense that really wants to be that versatile? Yeah, that's good. I mean, to me, I always look at interior guys that have some some tackle ability, but can also move people. So in other words, like, like a guy like Dominic Pooney from, uh, from Kansas, who's played left tackle and then goes inside the senior bowl and was excellent there. He's 323 pounds. So he can, he can move people, but he can still move. So I think guys like that give you versatility. Uh, another one, a guy like Brandon Coleman from TCU, uh, probably like a, you know, in that third round range that's played left tackle can kick inside and play guard. He's 316 pounds. Um, so he kind of has that that skill set as well um, that they can they can do anything. I, I really think the top three centers are guys that fit that mold as well. You know, with uh, with Jackson Powers Johnson, Graham Barton from Duke, Zach Frazier from West Virginia. All three of those guys can move you at the point of attack. Uh, all three of them are over 310 pounds uh, and they're athletic. So th- those guys, that's a group of of interior guys to me that I think uh, would fit there. And then you know the tackle wise, this this draft just has a ton of them uh, that should be able to do a lot of that stuff. One guy we haven't mentioned, who I really liked, um, is uh, is a guy Blake Fisher from Notre Dame. So he's he's a good one. He can uh, he's a right tackle. Uh, he got he has good foot speed. He can get out, do some of the things in space, uh, but he's got some power to him as well. Uh, so that those are you know just a few names there that I think would kind of fit that uh, that versatile type guy you're looking for. Appreciate that. Thank you.
2: Next question comes from Matt Wenzel with M Live. Matt, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, uh, Michigan State has only one guy invited to the combine, and uh, Nick Saemack, offensive lineman. I was wondering if you have a draftable grade on him, or or any Michigan State player, Jacoby Winman, Aaron Brule, anything like that.
1: Yeah, he's the only one I've done so far. Um, so I kind of work with this combine list, and once I swallow all these names and get these guys watched. Um, then, uh, then I'll go outside that and go to other guys that I hear about have a chance to get drafted to make sure I'm uh, I've got all my ducks in a row by the time we get to Detroit. But uh, you know, for him, he's a center, he's under control. He kind of plays that wide base. He'll hop back versus power, but he can settle late. Um, I, I thought in space, just kind of average uh, with some of the change of direction stuff. Some of the uh, some of the agility, I didn't think was was great. He was a late he was a late draftable grade for me. So uh, a little bit later on for me.
2: Thanks. Yep. Next question comes from Destin Adams. Destin, you may ask a question.
0: Hey, Daniel. Thanks for the time. Um, I
2: cover the Colts for A to Z Sports, um, and we've kind of seen mock drafters go all over the place where they can go (laughs) at 15. Uh, Chris Ballard said that he wanted to get more
0: explosive um, for next season. So what are your thoughts on what they could go at 15?
1: Well, if you want to get more explosive, and there's a reason he's saying that you're, when you're 26th and third down offense, and uh, you know, hopefully they can uh, get Pittman back in the fold because I think he's a, a really good piece for them uh, moving forward. But if you want to get more explosive, and you're looking at, at potentially at, at wide receivers that could be there at that point in time, you know Brian Thomas, who we just mentioned, would probably be at the top of my list um, from LSU. He he would give them that and somebody who can really really get vertical. And I wouldn't sleep on. You know, I know I'm a little bit lower right now, but I think there's a chance you see, you know, Adnai Mitchell and Troy Franklin kind of climb up into uh, potentially into that realm. Um, so those are some wide receivers. There's only one tight end that fits that bill. Um, and that's somehow if Brock Bowers got there, which again, as we've kind of gone over the positional stuff, the, the financial aspect of it, um, the history, the draft history, even though he's a, you know, he's a top 10 player in this draft, I would not be, I would not rule it out that, uh, that somehow Brock Bowers gets there. And that would be the uh, that would be ironic because I, I compare him to Kittle. But he, he reminds me of Kittle like in a Dallas Clark body, um, uh, a little bit, you know, similar in terms of that, how you would use Dallas Clark and move him and do all those different things. So these like kind of like if if Kittle and Dallas Clark had a baby, it would be Brock Bowers. So uh, it would be a fun one there with the Colts.
2: Next question comes from James Boyd with The Athletic. James, you may ask your question.
1: DJ,
0: one, uh, your son is a better student than me. Um,
1: and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, two, um, along the lines, ten lines of uh, Brock Bowers, uh, do you think the tightrope surgery has any factor in where he could get chosen? No, I think it might have a factor of whether we see him do anything at the combine. But, um, you know, I think he's got time. And by all accounts, I think he'll be ready to rock and roll at his pro day. So um, now, I, I mean, that's something that we've seen a little bit more of over the last few years. I want to say uh was Tua one of the one of the one of the first ones I remember hearing about that for the first time I think with Tua but uh um yeah you're seeing that a little more often now I don't think that will will impact too much where uh, uh where he ends up landing. he should be fine
2: next question comes from Joe Grutter with the Pittsburgh Tribune Review Joe you asked your question Yeah. Hi, Daniel.
0: Um, You you talked earlier
2: about uh, building a foundation last year for the Steelers and their first draft together. Andy Weidel, Omar Khan went offensive line, big corner, defensive tackle. Do you kind of foresee them still building that foundation this year? And what areas I saw you have them taking the tackle? What other areas do you think they could go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I don't think they're done. I think they they have a clear they have a clear vision of what they want that team to look like. And I thought the way they executed last draft was perfect. I mean, they had a great draft, uh, and you know, you also had Washington, the huge tight end there too. They just got big. Uh, they became a big, big team. So you know, I, that's why I could see them going with another offensive lineman, whether it's a tackle for the other side of Broderick Jones, uh, whether whether that's a guard, you know, center type. Uh, you know, I think that's. Uh, that's very much in play. I would not rule that out. I, I also think that, you know, adding a, adding another corner, uh, is something that they need to look at and they need to get accomplished. So where they're picking, they're picking 20, uh, you know, we've kind of talked about that corner list a little bit earlier, but you know, those are, you know, man, it, to me, if you want to say like, what's a home run pick, like if, if you could, if you could write it in right now, turn it in and somehow, uh, guarantee it would happen. Uh, Putting uh, Quinion Mitchell from Toledo on the opposite side of, of who you took last year with Joey Porter Jr. I think would be, man, that would be a heck of a heck of a young secondary with uh, with Minka at the uh, top of the Christmas tree there. That would be a fun defense to watch.
2: Next question comes from Greg Pickle. Greg, give me ask your question.
0: Thanks so much for your time. I'm curious how your opinion of Penn State cornerback Kalen King has changed over the last year, and then if there's any Penn State players you're uh, especially interested in watching at the combine this year. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Um, look, I, I don't think it, you know, I don't think Kalen had the, the year that he would want. Uh, you know, part of it is the tough thing is when you have like marquee players in your conference at a position that you're going to go up against, that's the first tape everybody's going to watch. So when you're watching Penn state and you've got a corner, you are going to pop on the Ohio state game. That's the first game you're going to watch. And, and Marvin Harrison got after him a little bit in that game. So that's like that first impression that's a little bit hard to shake. Um, he's uh, He's got good quickness. I'm curious to see, you know, the top-end speed, how he runs. Uh, now he's, he's good working downhill, and he can play top-down. I think he's a little more comfortable, a little more natural. Um, I just thought there were too many times where he struggled to stay in phase and, and find and play the ball down the field uh, <laughs> with, his, with his back to the quarterback. So um, that was a, a little bit of the issue there. I, I have him. You know, the grade that I have him right now puts him kind of in that like fourth round range. Um, I'm sure some others might might have him a little bit higher, but that's where I have him positioned uh, at, at this point in time. But, you know, it's interesting on the, on the Penn State side of things. If I was watching an offensive lineman uh, in the Big Ten, Penn State was the first game that I popped on because I wanted to watch him against that front. Because not only are they really talented, you know, with, the, with Chop and, and with Adisa Isaac, but those guys play hard, man. I, I don't know off uh, top of my head uh, the D line coach there. Uh, I know obviously their history there uh, of having great defensive line coaches, but those guys play really, really hard, uh, and they're great to evaluate other players against. So uh, those one uh, that was something that stood out watching those Penn State guys.
2: Next question comes from Andrew Mason. Andrew, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, on, um, looking at the Broncos sitting there at 12 with them dealing with a potential huge dead money hit, not having, still not having full draft capital in the wake of recent trades is trading up for a quarterback viable for them, especially with some of the other talent available at 12, like you've got them with Jared versus remark.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be tough. You got no second round pick, um, there's other holes on the roster. I, I would say if, you know, Sean, Sean's going to have, you know, what he's looking for, the position to me, it's if you've 100% fall in love and he's your, you know, it's the best guy because, you know, just because somebody might be number one, the number one pick or number one on another board doesn't mean he's number one on your board. But if you've got a guy who you think is the best one, who you think is a, uh, you know, a cornerstone at the most important position for the next decade plus, and you have conviction I don't, I don't, I don't have any problem with it. Even though you might have some other holes to fill, um, I, I, I think that's what it comes down to. You don't make that type of a move uh, for a guy you like. You, you make that type of a move for a guy you think's got a chance to be, really be special. So um, that would be my, my thought process there. That would be the hurdle that would have to, uh, to clear to make something like that happen. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out. I think when you look at the draft and you look at picks, you know, six and eight if they are sitting there and the top three quarterbacks go and somehow you get past the giants and you get past the Atlanta Falcons. Um, now, if you, uh, you know, if that fourth quarterback is, is still there now, the cost isn't quite as great to, to maybe if you get a little bit nervous and want to maybe just move up ahead, uh, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, you can do that. But uh, you know, that would be the other thing for them to keep an eye on.
2: Next question comes from Michael McQuaid. Michael, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, how's it going? Good, man. Um, Look, this is a historic NFL combine for Ireland and for the UK and Europe with the International Player Pathway Programme. Next Sunday, we have four guys either kicking or punting from the amateur sport of Gaelic football and also rugby. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to see them play, but just generally wondering your thoughts on the IPP and just seeing guys from Ireland, the UK, Europe, Australia transfer their skills.
1: Oh, well, I'll be totally candid and honest. I have not seen it, but I, I think it's great for the game. Um, I love the fact that it's becoming more global. I think when you watch guys like Jordan Mailata uh, play at an extremely high level, um, it shows you what's possible here, and, and, and there's talent all over the place. And I think the fact that the NFL is playing these games not only, you know, in London anymore, but now you're in Germany, and now there's, Spain is in the mix, Brazil's in the mix. Um, it's just going to continue to grow. Uh, I've got a, a friend of mine who, who coached at my high school. He went over and was was coaching football in Italy. Um, I know Joe Thomas is now uh, is coaching overseas. So it's just gonna it's the tip of the iceberg. It's just getting yeah. started, and I'm uh, I'm super excited to see more guys get their opportunities. Um, but I have not I have not seen any of those players individually. But if you'd like to lobby my bosses for me to go take a trip, I will I will sign up for it yesterday.
2: Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Next question comes from Jonas Schaefer.
1: Jonas, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, thanks for doing this. Uh I know you got the the question uh from Garrett earlier about the the Ravens and the tackle situation. Uh, but there's obviously also a need for the interior guys and maybe a succession plan at, you know, left tackle, right tackle. Uh, I guess day one, day two, how many guys could, you know, credibly step in uh at either spot or maybe, you know, kind of start that first year as a rookie inside and then swing over uh, to the, uh, to the left or, or right tackle and, you know, be a part of that long-term uh, solution there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of guys, you know, depending on, you know, where you are and where you want to take them. Um, but in terms of guys that could, you know, start inside, I mean, Fouaga is not going to be there, but he would be one who could do, you know, he could play inside if you want to and before eventually taking over outside. Um, Jordan Morgan's a little bit of a tricky evaluation. He's a little bit up and down. He's coming off of an ACL from Arizona. Uh, but there's a lot of ability there. And he's someone who I think, you know, teams feel like has that type of versatility to be able to, you know, to start inside before eventually kicking back out. He played left tackle at Arizona. Um, uh, maybe he can find his home back out there. Um, I mentioned Blake Fisher, who I liked, who I think has that, that type of ability. Christian Jones from Texas. Now we're getting, you know, this is outside, you know, we're getting down outside of the first round. Uh, but those are some guys that, uh, that that slide into that mix as well. That for the Ravens, I, as I said earlier, the the home run picks uh, with with Guyton and Mims would be home runs. And if somehow uh, Fontanu from Fatanu, uh, I gotta get that right from Washington, if he were to get down there, he's one who's you know he's a little undersized at six, uh, Four, uh so six three in uh, a little over 319 pounds. He's a he's a left tackle at Washington. A lot of teams have him as a guard. I think he can hold up a tackle, um, but he would be another one. He's my sixteenth player. I don't think he'll be there, but uh, that'd be a great pick.
2: Next question comes from Zenny Abraham. Zenny, you may ask your question. Thank you so much DJ, it's great to see you. Hey,
0: uh, Drake May, talk me off the ledge because I've done a lot of watching of his videos, and I'll just cut to the chase. I can't as a high pick as anything other than a bust and also do the Raiders and the saints really need to draft
2: quarterbacks because they have new offensive coaches. Thanks.
1: Yeah, no, uh, look, it's not, there's no perfect prospects. Um, there's uh you know, there's, I wish it was always easy on that where you can see the talent and the performance and it all came together and it, it you know, it makes for an easy evaluation with Drake. It's a little more complex than that. And you look at, you know, some of the challenges that he faced. I mentioned earlier some things he does. He has his things he needs to work on, including tighten some things up uh, from a delivery standpoint. Um, but I think the kid's really, really talented. I've seen him play at a high level. I've seen him, you know, make big plays in, in, in two-minute situations, uh, using his legs. Uh, I think he's, I think it's all there. So he might not have seen it all consistently. I don't think they're great in front of him um, in terms of, you know, what, who he's playing with now. I'm not going to go get out here and, and trash his teammates. But I, to me, he has all the ability. You haven't seen it all yet. None of us have. There's risk involved. He's not a uh, you know, he's not a perfect player. But I think you can fill in the gaps when you have somebody who's got size, uh, who's got a live arm, who's a good athlete, who's, uh, you know, by all accounts, an incredibly bright, great leader. All the intangible stuff's all there. All that stuff's there. Um I think you just got to kind of you got to have a little bit of faith that it's going to that it's going to come together. But I, I hear what you're saying in terms of the, the tape. Um, it's not the it's not a clean uh, it's not a clean watch there. There's uh, there's stuff to work on. And some of it was outside of his control. Thank you. Thank you. Next,
2: next question comes from Mark Maskey. Mark, you may ask a question.
1: And when you take into account the
2: the talent level with Caleb Williams that you already mentioned, and then also factoring in the Bears' somewhat unique situation with with Fields on the roster, in your mind, is there a clear-cut right or wrong thing there? Is that a tradable pick? Is that not a tradable pick because of the the talent level of Caleb Williams? How How does that sort of play out in your mind?
1: Well, I, you know, I be careful with my words. I think I said I used the phrase no brainer at one point in time, which everybody, you know, maybe that was too strong. I lean heavily in favor of taking Caleb Williams, you know, unless you got the offer of all offers, which is, you know, pick combination of picks and players that it's literally, you know, too good to turn down. It'd have to blow me away. Um, to to move off of that pick, and again, same thing I said a minute ago. There aren't perfect players. Caleb's not a perfect player. Caleb's going to require some some patience and assembly there. But the 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 ability is is off the charts, and what he can be is something that's extremely exciting. And I think, you know, I was talking to Orlovsky about this the other day. Of like, you, you see, some of these young quarterbacks have a chance to transition and be successful. And part of the formula seems to be, hey we're not asking you to play quarterback every snap. In other words, let's give you, we're going to give you 10 completions in the game where we're going to get, you know, smoke screens. We're going to get some regular screens, some shallow crosses, uh, you know, some stick routes. We're going to, we're going to bake in 10 completions for you. That's going to be easy for you. You're not going to have to sit back there and and really go deep and sort through things. Then I'm going to ask you to make, you know, five or so, you know, five, four or five plays with just your ability, go out there and create, make some things happen, go run for a first down. And then you're talking about seven or eight plays where you got to sit back there and really play quarterback and, you know, see coverage, work to progression, be on time, all those things. But I think sometimes you look at the quarterbacks who failed. uh, I think they've been thrown out there and it's just like, Hey, here's, here's let's throw the ball 40 times a game. And here's, you know, you having to, to, to do that on a down in a down out basis. So I think you got to be smart of how you, how you get him going and get him up and running. But I think the, you know, the upside there, the tools there are, are pretty dang elite. And while I hear the argument of build up the, you know, build up the whole roster and think about the whole team, I'm like, yeah, well, I know, you know, one, one or two Super Bowls every 10 years, you you'll get a Uh, you know, a Nick Foles magic carpet ride with an unbelievable team. The rest of them seem to be won by Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady's uh, of the world, you know, the elite, elite guys. So if you got a chance to go out there and get one of these guys who can be elite, uh, I think you got to take your shot if you're the Bears.
2: Next question comes from William Birchfield. William, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, I, I know you spoke on Straw earlier, but what's your evaluation of how he might fit in Aaron Glenn's defense in Detroit and in this organization under Dan Campbell with the ethos that he's kind of instilled here? And is 29 or late first round a realistic landing spot for him, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think he's in that range. Yeah, I mean, I have him a little bit higher than that, but... Um... You know, and I know when talking to teams, I'm a little bit higher on him than some other teams are. But, yeah, in terms of the feistiness and the toughness and the you know, the aggressiveness that he plays with, the energy, the passion that he plays with, yeah, I mean, he fits 100% with Detroit. Um, I was giving him Frazier for the almost the exact same reason when you look at the center uh, from West Virginia because the guy's a four-time state champ wrestler. He's super, super, you know, physical. He finishes guys. He plays kind of that nasty, nasty style. And, you know, that's the great thing that they've done in Detroit, you know, all the talent they've brought in there. I think the, the biggest thing they've done is they've, they've got a true identity of who they are and what they're about. They set that vision from the beginning and they went out and found guys that fit. And, you know, there's certain guys when we were in Baltimore, we used to say like play like a Raven and we could, uh, you know, put red stars on players that, uh, that we felt were, you know, our type of guys you just mentioned uh, Ray Castra, I would say Frazier. I think both those guys are Detroit line type players.
2: Next question comes from Hens Todd with the Kansas city. You may now ask your question. All right. This is Hens Todd with the Kansas city college newspaper. Um, I have a, a question. I mean, how are you doing today, by the way? I'm doing great.
1: Thanks for, thanks for hopping on here.
2: Uh Thanks uh, for the super bowl champions picking last, you know what I mean? Um, Everybody around Kansas City is looking. You know, everybody around the NFL seen that the the receivers had trouble at the beginning of this year. Um, I know you have them uh, selecting Franklin there, but I'm thinking um, Thomas Jr. is the best receiver in this draft, as for my eyes, for what I've seen over um, Cal, you know, um, Marvin Harrison Jr. and all those guys. What do you see those guys picking there, or do you see them trading back? Or trading that pick to go get a Kyle Pitts or somebody like that.
1: Um gosh, if that's if I haven't read the article. If it's possible to go get Kyle Pitts, sign me up for that. Um uh goodness gracious. Uh that would be a that would be a that would not be fair uh if that were to happen. Uh Brian Thomas Jr. I look I I I am really high on him. He's the top 15 player in the draft for me. I didn't have him go into the chiefs because he was off the board by the time they were picking. Um, so I had him taking Franklin who I, I really like as well. Um, but there's uh you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw them even move back. They just continue. They've done such a good job drafting. And, you know, I think if you are going to take a receiver, there's, there's a bunch of them. They could uh, they could easily slide back from where they're picking and, and, uh, and, go get another one. You just got my head spinning with this Kyle Pitts thing. That, is that out there? I, I have not read that. That would be uh as someone so, someone who calls oh, Charger games, I'm sure a lot of people would not be happy with that, that trade.
2: <laughs> Holy crap. Next question comes from Parker Gabriel. Parker, you may ask your question.
0: Hey, DJ, um, back to the Broncos at, at 12. I know you talked about the, the quarterback element there. If they don't go, is there is there value in thinking about going back from there since – they don't have a two, or do you risk taking yourself out of the conversation for a guy that maybe has a true first-round grade?
1: Well, I think I think you kind of look and see what direction that they're interested in going. Um, when, you, when you look at their team, and I'm pulling up their needs here, when you look at, you know, uh, you get another corner and you can go edge, uh, to me, yeah, if you're going to look at those positions, if you're not going to get the quarterback that you like there, I think you could make a a strong case if you're like, Hey, we want to go get another corner and we like the corners in this draft. There's a good number of them. Maybe you can trade back and and recoup that pick, uh, that second round pick. I think that's a good thought. Actually. I kind of like that idea. Um, If you know, you're looking in that direction. I think there's also some interesting edge players that you could slide down a a little bit, depending on what happens. I think there's those kind of the top three guys with Turner, with verse, with Latu. I think if two of those three are still there, um, that might embolden you to make that move as well. You need to come out of that thing with a a really good corner or an edge rusher if you slide back a handful of picks.
2: Next question comes from Joe Donahue. Joe, you may ask your question.
1: Hey, DJ, thanks for taking the time on this uh, marathon session here. (laughs) I enjoy Uh, it, man. The Padres haven't started breaking my heart yet, so I'm in a good mood. (laughs) Um. So we've talked about the Eagles a couple of times on this call and the uh, Eagles definitely have plenty of opportunities for rookies to uh, shine in the defensive secondary. Um, what would you be looking for in either Rakestraw or somebody else uh, to make an immediate impact in the uh, Vic Fangio scheme? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, look, Eyes are going to be big uh, with Vic. So yeah, I, I look at Rake Straw, I think, has really, really good eyes. Uh, he can play the ball. They're going, to, they're going to get pressure. I know they kind of uh, – their numbers fell off a little bit this last year, and I know they got some new faces, some young guys who get opportunities up front, and uh, they need some of those guys to step up. But, uh, you know, I look at guys that, that have those eyes and, uh, and can find and play the ball. And, uh, you know, another one that I think is kind of interesting – is uh we haven't talked about this corner but is, is kamari lassiter from uh from georgia that might be a little bit early for him but he's somebody that i think you know kind of fits you know fits what they look for and, and what they like he's a good player and i think he has some some inside outside versatility can play the nickel, can play outside if you want him to as well
2: thank you yep. next next question comes from dan Rayley. dan you may ask your question
0: Hi, DJ. Uh, you made a comment that uh, Roma Dunze was your favorite player in the draft. I've seen your breakdown on him, but could you elaborate a little bit more why you like him so much?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I, I like big, fast, physical, smart, tough guys who can go play above the rim and uh, who have some route polish to them. So, I mean, as a player, I love I love what he has from a skill set standpoint. I think all of it translates I think when you look at big games in the NFL, especially going to the postseason, I think some of that space disappears, and you got to have guys who can win and buy it with bodies around them, and he can do that. And that's not to say he can't run. You'll see it when he get to the combine. He can run too. Um, so there's that side of it. I love there's a bounce and like an energy to him that I love. Um, I love the fact that you know even though you might have to coach some of this out of him. He hates running out of bounds. Like you'll see the competitiveness in him when he's on the sideline. He tries to get everything he can get. Uh, he's a real, real competitive football player. And then some of the stuff that I hear, you know, talking to, to con- sources and, and connections up there is the guy's incredibly bright. He's a great leader. You know, he knows every spot on the on the uh, in the receiving room. He can play anywhere. Um, he's been training with Ricky Prohl and. Prol said he's as smart as any receiver he's ever been around. So that's – those things are great. And then even like a little story from my buddy uh, uh, Brock up there, he were told me that like this – he's such a good kid. Like they had an event where they had a, uh, uh, a fishing tournament fundraiser thing that they did. So he met this fishing captain, never been fished, never fished a day in his life. Uh, he goes out there with this guy and, and uh, has a good time and asks the fishing captain for his number afterwards and uh and didn't the fishing captain didn't think anything of it and uh and like whatever this guy never gonna call me and brock said that he ran into him you know months later to this this fishing captain and said that Roman Tunes and him go out fishing all the time and he just like the nicest guy in the world just a great dude so i'm like i don't i just like this, is almost too good to be true with everything i hear about this kid and i and i love the way that he plays
2: next question comes from adam west adam mimi Ask your question. Adam, please. I, uh, yeah. Everybody.
1: Sorry about that. Hi, DJ. Thank you for taking the
2: time to do that yeah. or for doing that for us. um It feels like the Saints have
0: uh, routinely missed on edge rushers in the draft Marcus Davenport, Peyton Turner. Um, we're still seeing for a um A lot of mocks having Latu. Kind of being pegged there um, i love him as a prospect is he someone that can kind of buck the trend and be a hit for them um in, in the high selection at, at the s position and then just a second little one there's buzz that marshawn Lattimore potentially may you know be on the market in terms of being traded from the saints what is his his value um if the saints are open to trading him thank you again uh,
1: yeah no problem um Look, with, with Latu, he's totally different than those guys you just mentioned. So their their formula that they had been chasing is more traits-based. All those guys you mentioned were kind of more raw, uh, not technical pass rushers, but, f- you know, big, physical, explosive guys who weren't technicians. Latu's a technician, man. He's like – I compare him to Trey Hendrickson. Uh, he's really good with his hands. He can win a variety of ways. He's got a natural feel for pass rush and Some some – parts of pass rush remind me of wide receivers as route runners there's an artistry to it um and lotu is an artist he's really really gifted that way so a totally different style than the guys that you mentioned that maybe they haven't hit on in the past uh, with Lattimore um I have to go back through I have not looked at his uh, you know his contract stuff lately I'd have to go back and see what that looks like from a trade standpoint um you know, what his value would be. So I, I wouldn't even, uh, I wouldn't want to venture a guess there on 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 his value, what that might look like, unless I, I do a little bit more homework for you on that one. I'll work on it.
2: Next question comes from Rainer Sabin. Rainer, you may ask your question. We'll
0: wrap it up. Hey, uh, um, hi, Daniel. um I was wondering, uh what's your uh, assessment of Michigan as a developmental program, obviously, with 18 players at the combine and also where do you see that going in the future now that you know Jim Harbaugh is back in the NFL
1: well they've done a good job you know I I don't know uh, you know I I don't think we're going to have a you know a zillion first round picks from Michigan this year but you mentioned the, the the raw number of guys it's just so many of them and when you go through and look at them you know they there's things that you you can start with when you're doing the evaluation like well probably going to be tough and that's pretty much almost every single guy on that list they're all tough they're smart it's it's uh it's nice as a scout when you can kind of put some of those things to bed in the evaluation and focus on the tape and what you see it's almost become kind of a given that you get a michigan guy you're going to get somebody who's been well coached can take hard coaching he's smart and he's tough and then now let's go about figuring out if he can play so Uh, that's something that they've developed there. They've developed in that toughness they've developed in that, you know, kind of smart football player with a, with a good knowledge of the game. So that's, I would imagine, you know, that's a foundation that Harbaugh has put in place there and built there. I've seen it, you know, with uh, what happened at Stanford that when he left David Shaw did an awesome job taking that over and that, that run continued for many, many years. So I I think that what they built there is they built something that lasts and, uh, And that Harbaugh, you know that that will uh, that will follow him there. So even though he's no longer there, I think you'll still see those major tenets in place.
0: And how do you see that particularly with the offensive line and and the players that they produce out of that position in particular?
1: Yeah, there's a ton of them this year. You know, I I don't think there's a great player in the bunch in terms of how they, you know, what I expect from them at the next level, or necessarily how high they're going to get picked. Um, but they're all going to find their way on a roster. And, you know, you have value in guys that have some positional flexibility. They've moved guys around quite a bit. There's a lot of guys that have played in different spots. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's helpful, especially when you're talking about you now backups and guys that are kind of, you know, filling out your, your last couple spots there in that room.
2: Thank you. Next yep. question comes from Ryan Mink with the Baltimore Ravens. Ryan, you may ask a question.
0: Thank you for doing this. Uh, just wondering, are, are there any receivers? You know, Eric DeCosta has picked a receiver in the first round three of the past four years. I would probably expect it doesn't continue, but are there are there some receivers that you think might complement what the Ravens already have in the room moving forward? And,
2: and then secondly, uh, George Kakinas. I know you worked with him. Mm-hmm. He's kind of stepping in with Joe Ortiz leaving. Uh, you know, what, what makes Joe a, a special talent evaluator?
0: Or I'm sorry, George, a George. special talent
1: <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, we'll start, first of all, with the with the wide outs to kind of compliment what they have. You know, I think you're, you know, was Zay flowers going to be I think he's going to be a number one if he isn't a number one already. Um, so somebody that would be the person I'd be looking to compliment. And so I'm going to go look for some size. And that that to me is, is a guy like Adnai Mitchell um, would be the perfect, perfect example there. Uh, Troy Franklin from from Oregon would be another one. Um, so those would be the two guys to me that, that complement kind of what you have in place there. You can throw Keon Coleman in, but those, uh, those three guys are kind of, they would kind of fill out that basketball team, so to speak uh, for the Ravens. Look, George has been there for a long time. George knows how the, you know, what the Ravens are about at their core um, in terms of evaluating players. He's going to, he's going to value the same things that, that Ortiz valued. So Um, I, I don't think you'll see any, you know, noticeable change there. Those guys have been together forever. If you see, if you go to the combine and you run into Eric, you'll see George, you run into George, you'll see Eric. So, um, no, I think that'll be a, that'll be a smooth transition. It's one of the, it's one of the things the Ravens have had such an advantage. I mean, I think Ortiz had been there for 25 years, 26 years. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that consistency there, you know, what you like in players. And, uh, I, I think they'll, they'll just keep on rolling.
2: Next question comes from Nolan Bianchi. Nolan, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, thanks for,
0: uh, <clears throat>
2: taking the time to do this. The lions are in that range where it feels like they could miss out on, uh, maybe that top tier of prospects at a couple different positions of need, like corner and edge, um, you know, just, just given Brad Holmes' pension for, for drafting up, do you see them as one of the teams that, that could move up in that first round?
1: Oh, that's yeah, that's entirely possible. I wouldn't rule that out. Um, you know, when you think about corners and edges, uh, I mean, I, I would think if they can get one of those top three guys, that would make some sense. I think if they stick and pick, I think you're probably, you know, you're in like Chop Robinson maybe comes into discussion there from Penn State. If you're moving up for a corner, I mean, I love – uh, Terry and Arnold. I mean, if, if Roma, Roma Dunze is my favorite player in the draft, Terry and Arnold's Arnold is a close second. And I have him way up there. If he started to drift a little bit as big and fast and instinctive and productive as he is, um, uh, he is, he is fluid. He, he just, he is a really, really good player. Who's a combination of, you know, physical, athletic, reliable, uh, great kid, had a chance to visit with him a little bit. Um, He's uh, he's one to me that would be, he'd be worth going up and getting. Um, if he started to drift a little bit, maybe be aggressive on that one. He would fit with them as well as, uh, I've already mentioned with Rake Straw, Quinion Mitchell, like those three guys would be, uh, they would be trade targets for me in terms of what fits Detroit.
2: Next question comes from Andrew Gieden. Andrew, you may ask your question. Uh, hey Daniel, thanks for doing this. Um, specifically with the offensive tackles in this draft class, do you necessarily see a tier drop-off from round one to two at all? And specifically with New England at number 34, what could the price of trading back into the 20s range for Nat O will be?
1: Um, I, I do think there's a little bit of a drop-off. To me, I get to Mims. So that, that's Alt, Fuaga, Fashanu, Latham, uh, Fatanu from Washington, Guyton, Mims. That's the collection for me. And I have all those guys in my top 20 players. So, um, you know, maybe you get one of those guys to drift down there. If, uh, you know, you're talking about trading back up in. Uh, gosh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to pull up the chart. I don't have the, the chart in front of me in terms of what that cost would be. But uh, you're, you're talking about a, you know, a mid-round pick more than likely. You're probably talking about a three.
2: Next question comes from Ryan McFadden. Ryan, you may ask your question.
0: Uh, hey DJ, thanks for doing this. When um just for the for the Broncos in particular, when you look at the quarterback class, what do you say what quarterback you think has fits what Sean Payne wants to do on offense the best? And another question is what are some left tackle options they could consider possibly like later in the draft?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh to me, uh w- with the Broncos, the you know, McCarthy and Knicks would be the two that I think make a lot of sense. Uh, if they were gonna stick and pick one there. Um uh, I think, you know, for Sean Payton, as we talked about a little bit earlier on the call, you know, being obsessed with processing, I think both those guys do that really, really well. Uh, I think that's a strength for him. As hard as it is to tell uh, when you're watching tape and and how these guys process, not knowing what the play calls, the reads, and all those things are all the time. Um, I think those guys operate efficiently and I think they're both very accurate and they protect the football, which seem to be uh, pretty core things there for, uh, you know, for Sean Payton in terms of a left tackle, uh, you know, kind of a project or a prospect. Uh, look, the kid from Yale is interesting. I won't I won't attempt to say his last name yet because I don't have the pronunciation in front of me. Uh, but, you know, he's huge. He's 6'5", 318 pounds, a little bit of a project, a little bit top heavy at times. Uh, but uh, he can really collapse people in the run game, and there's, uh, there's really something to work with there. So he's somebody like that. Uh, to me, Patrick Paul from Houston is very raw. He's probably going to go. He'll probably go somewhere on day two at some point. In time on day two, maybe in the third round. Uh, maybe he gets into the second round. But he's six, seven, 333 pounds, and he's got, uh, you know, he's got incredible length. And uh, so he's he's one that's uh, that's interesting. Probably goes though a little bit earlier. So other other down the line projects. You know, eh, eh, not really. I I don't see anybody that I love in terms of, um, you know, I I really love a a down-the-line prospect at that position.
2: Next question comes from Greg Madia. Greg, you may ask your
0: question. Hey, hey Daniel, I cover University of Virginia, and I'm wondering with Malik Washington, how did his big jump in production from what he did at Northwestern to what he did at UVA this past fall kind of impact and create some buzz for him? And and what do you think of his skill
1: set? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me about him. He's one of my favorite players. Uh, he's five, a little over 5'8", 192 pounds. But like when you're watching, as I'm doing, you, I go by position. So you're just watching guy after guy after guy. After a while, they kind of start to blend in uh, at some of these positions. And I watch this dude, and I'm like, man, this is a sturdy, strong, quick, tough uh, football player who's kind of ready-made in the slot. Uh, he makes a ton of plays in traffic. He doesn't play with fear. He can adjust. Um, he's got a good feel for routes. He knows how to attack leverage, create separation. You know, I'm curious to see just like the pure top speed, what that looks like, but I had fun. I had fun watching his tape. I gave him what equates to like a third round grade. Uh, oh. and maybe I end up being a little bit high there in terms of where he ends up going. Uh, you know, you know, it's not a wish he was a little bit bigger, a little bit taller, but, uh, yeah, I, I had a blast watching him. I'm a Malik Washington fan.
2: Got it. Thank you. Yep. Next next question comes from Donnie Drew. And Donnie, you may ask a question. Hey, DJ, really appreciate your time today. I uh, hope you got a like
1: a beach somewhere. You're going to be able to chill after this. <laughs> um, so obviously the uh, the Cardinals number four pick will impact what they do at number 27. Um, can you just kind of talk to me about maybe the, the philosophy, excuse me, what the team might do, maybe some players that might target? And do you think there's a possibility they might trade out maybe team looking to maybe pick up a 5th their option from early second round, maybe trying to move in? But what are you doing or what do you think they would do uh, if you're the Cardinals? Well, I think they're in a great spot um, with both these picks, because I think, um, you know, they're, they're in a chance at pick number four. They're going to have elite player to to pick right there at 4 everybody's been connecting to the wideouts. I think there's a real good chance they have their choice of any of them. Um, so if we're going to go off that premise that they stick and pick and take the wide out there at four, um, then you look at where they're picking there at the bottom of the first round. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a chance you are picking 27, you want to slide out. Somebody wants to come back up. Maybe, maybe it's for that, you know, fifth or sixth quarterback. If we, you know, for some reason we go on this quarterback run and somebody wants to come up to get the extra year. Uh, I know every year I feel like we talk about that and it doesn't really happen very often where teams come back up for that guy. So, you know, maybe it's not as realistic, but if that opportunity were to present itself, uh, no one, you know, you want to grab some interior offensive linemen corners, you know, guys like that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's interior offensive line and corners at the top of second round. You're going to have starting level players there. So I would definitely entertain the, the phone call if you were to get it there at 27, knowing that you've already got the, uh, you know, kind of your playmaker in the bag there at pick number four.
2: Next question comes from Jason Aponte. Jason, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, thanks for sticking around so long, man. Appreciate
1: it. No problem.
2: So, I was looking at your latest mock, and obviously, the San Francisco 49ers have offensive line issues. Um, you have Grant Barton, who started at left tackle at Duke, uh, moving over to guard. Do you feel like it's a little too rich early on? Because the 49ers, even when they took Aaron Banks, it felt like it was a little bit too high in the draft. I just wanted to know your thought process on that.
1: No, I, I don't necessarily think that's that's too high. You know, he started a ton of games. He's played center. I think that's where his ultimate best position is going to be, is, is at center. But he can play anywhere. Um, you know, obviously, recently haven't played left tackle. But uh, I had a higher grade on him just to compare the two players you're talking about with him and Banks. I just I had a higher higher grade on him so um i don't think it's you know i don't think that's crazy i would say you know when you look at the interior guys in this draft there's you know there's other options too now i mean i I've, I've done more work since my initial top 50 list came out I'll, I'll end up having jackson powers johnson over over graham barton but i really like graham barton too uh, and i like zach frazier and i think all three of those guys would uh, be plug and play guys i mean there as no no uh I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but they're win now, let's go mode. And I think these guys, those three interior guys, are plug and play for me.
2: Next question comes from Eric McMahon. Eric,
0: Aaron, you match your question. DJ, thanks again for doing this. Another Michigan question for you. Uh, defensive yeah. tackle Chris Jenkins. Uh, I know he's moved around a little bit at Michigan over his time. What, what do you think about him and maybe Chris translates Jenkins translates to the next level? Michigan.
1: Yeah. You know, he's, he's, uh, He's kind of tricky to evaluate because, uh, first of all, he's got the great nickname. Uh, I, I would love to have the nickname, the mutant, uh, because he's such a physical freak. Um, so he's 293 pounds. All the, you can watch all the weight room stuff that he does out there. It's off the charts. He'll put on a show at the Combine as well. Um, but the way that, that he plays there, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't make a ton of plays, but... You know, it's not really what's asked of him quite as much. He doesn't get a chance to penetrate. It's more kind of play at the point of attack, stack blocks, and, uh, you know, kind of hold the point there. I want to see, you know, just more of him getting in gaps, getting upfield, playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I know he's got the rare, you know, strength power. Um, And I know, obviously, the genes are great when you think about his dad and what a great player he was. So, uh, and by all accounts, great worker, great kid, all that stuff's off the charts. It's just a little tricky just because the playmaking you know it doesn't doesn't pop when you watch him on tape but that being said I still think he goes somewhere on day number 2 um, I think probably more than likely finds his way into the you know to the bottom bottom uh, portion of the second round would be my guess
2: next question comes from Craig Haley Craig you may ask your question Daniel thank you for the time today I was hoping you could put the
0: South Dakota state draft class in perspective I mean the size of it not just the, the players who will be drafted, but the ones who will sign after the draft, it, it's an unusual size, you know, for the FCS level, even, you know, in comparison to, to some of the recent North Dakota state groups. Can, can you put this Jackrabbits class into perspective?
1: Yeah, it's not often you see it. I mean, um, look, that, uh, the Dakotas have had a pretty good run there uh, in terms of both those schools putting out, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of wins and a lot of good players. To me, like the interesting thing is, when you, when you look at guys like McCormick and Greenfield, McCormick started 57 games at left guard, 57. Um, so you get these 60-year guys, 55 for Greenfield. So that's in and of itself is pretty rare. These guys have played so much football. Uh, but McCormick is, is a fun one, just you know, plays real nasty. He's really good, uh, you know, the run game, combo blocks. He's, he's aware, which you shouldn't be a surprise when you played that much football. Um, you've got Isaiah Davis, again, the running back. Uh, who's, uh, you know, got really good quickness, plays some wildcat quarterback, runs a little bit high, but he's, uh, you know, he'll step through tackles, smooth runner. Uh, and then, you know, Greenfield, who I mentioned, I mean, th- it's a good group, man. These are good players and they've played a lot of ball and they've won a lot of games. So when we talk about, you know, some teams value guys that are captains, other teams, you know, love to bring in players from winning programs. Um, that's a heck of a, it's a heck of a class, especially from from that level, no doubt. Thank you.
2: Next question comes from Dan Ralph. Dan, you may ask your question.
0: Thank you. And as always, Daniel, thank you so very much for your time. Um, There are four
1: Canadians going to the combine. I wonder if I could throw throw names at you and uh, just get a brief synopsis. I've got my Canadians ready to go here. I Uh, knew you would. I only have three. I must be missing one. Um, all right, so I've got uh, Theo Johnson, who's going to be one of the top three or four tight ends. I think he'll show well from Penn State. Um, he's a uh, he's a, he's a good player. He had a good week down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, big catch radius. Uh, there's a play, watched him this year, where I saw him backpack a, a defensive back for 10 yards. Just carried him. Uh, so he's he's big, physical, uh, intriguing player there. Although I will say, Off topic, the tight end number 44, I don't know his name yet for Penn State who came back to school. He's a really good player. Uh, (laughs) Tanner, Tanner McLaughlin from Arizona State is he is like he was one of my like I thought it was a find. And then I called around to a bunch of schools and then everybody, you know, I wasn't I I wasn't telling them anything. They didn't know. He is a really, really good player. Uh, One of my favorite tight ends in the class. And I can tell you exactly. uh, He's like my fourth tight end right now. So a little bit undersized clean releases. He can work in the middle of the field. He's got big time burst after the catch. Um, he can go get it and high point the ball. Uh, once he catches it, he can transition in a hurry. Uh, one of the things I love from him, it just plays the game with a ton of effort. You watch the UCLA game, there's a pick and, uh, you see his effort to go make the tackle. I thought that kind of spoke to his competitiveness and his character. And then Donqua from Howard, uh, the big yeah. tackle. Um, he's somebody who, uh, you know, it's is, is going to be a little bit of a work in progress there. Uh, I don't think he's ready uh, to get out there and play. He might need some time on a practice squad uh, when I watched him, but he's enormous, 362 pounds. Uh, he's just going to have some issues with some of the speed that he's going to see. That's, he's kind of more of an absorbed power guy than somebody who's going to be able to kick out and cover up speed rushers. So a little bit more of a project, but an enormous guy uh, out of Howard. So who did I miss? Those are the three that I had. Isaiah Adams of uh, Illinois. Oh, Isaiah Adams from Illinois. All right, I'll give you Isaiah Adams here. I missed that one. Uh, I'll do. I'll do better next year. Uh, no worries. So Isaiah Adams, twenty-five starts. Um, played guard. Played tackle. He's he's uh, he's got some power. Um, I thought he set a little bit too deep in pass pro that that he that got him in some trouble, especially against Penn State when he was playing right tackle um so he was a down the line guy for me I wasn't quite as high I know some teams like him a little bit more than I do um uh, but uh to me I thought he was it was more of a late round pick for me but uh those are your, that's your Canadian report for the year and
0: if I may throw another name
1: okay.
2: at you just yeah, to please sorry go. we have to we have to move on we have oh, one well, final okay. question that we got to go right. to
1: I still our, love Canada Andrew. our
2: final question comes from Noah Fleischman Noah you may ask your question Hey, thanks for doing this. I just had a question about um, Peyton Wilson from NC state. You know, what are you looking forward to seeing from him next week at the
0: combine after what he did at the senior bowl? And how does he kind of battle that, that question about durability that he's got?
1: Well, I love him as a player. I mean, that's going to be everything with him, with the evaluation. It's just going to come down to, you know, what, what does that look like from a, from a health standpoint, because the tape is really, really good. I love the background stuff. I mentioned a little bit earlier that you remind me of Kiko Alonzo coming out of college, but, um, you know, look, he's had the knees, had the shoulders. He's got to get that cleared up uh, from the doctors and get the okay from teams. But at the senior bowl, he was what I saw on tape. Just ton of speed and range. He can cover. Uh, he's got some physicality to him. Uh, he's, you know, you kind of see him take control out there. He's, he's 6'4", 234-pound, off-the-ball linebacker who can really, really run and hit and cover. So he's kind of what you're looking for at the position. Uh, that's the combine for him. I don't, I mean, I know he's fast. I don't need to see him run. I know he can cover and move in space. I don't really, to me, it's going to be what he, you, you know, what he get out of the medicals there? And do you get the okay from those people? If you get the okay from those people, I think he's a second round pick. I think he's that type of player.
2: That concludes today's call. Thank you, DJ, for the time. And thank you for media for joining.
0: Thanks for listening to the Raiders press pass for all things silver and black. Download the Raiders app and visit Raiders.com. The Las Vegas Raiders have partnered with the global lifestyle app, TrueConnect to give the gift of wellness. Transform your mind, body, and soul through thousands of hours of premium fitness content, guided meditations, progress tracking, and more. Visit tcfree.fit to redeem one free year of TrueConnect
2: exclusively for Raider Nation.